This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, November 19th, 2020. And look at us. Ooh. Adam Hall, we're back on Jitsi. Back in our cubicles. Back so in our pods as Overlord Fauci told us to do. Yeah, I, I got to stick to that. I literally been just sitting in my room this whole time as soon as you announced that this is where I needed to be. It's it's quite upsetting in here. I literally have nothing. Um, Talk I do to have King an electric, Cuomo. Uh, <laughs> I do have an electric drum kit in the corner to keep me busy, so there's uh-huh. that. But, you know, otherwise, like, I get no food, no water, none of that. It's, it's, it's upsetting. Have you actually locked yourself in a room for three days? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Because I do know that you're not having sex, and it's because of me, and I'm sorry for that. It is. It's entirely because of you. As I said before we started uh, recording, you are the virtual cock blocker. Right. Which I can cock block from 20 miles away. It doesn't matter. I'm the best you've, at it. You've achieved something special if you can do it virtually. Yeah. That's pretty, un- that's pretty unbelievable, I have to admit. You know what? You know, Props <laughs> to you, you piece of shit. So, a little bit of a COVID scare. Just a teeny mm. tiny one. If that, honestly, if that, I don't yeah. know, man. Yeah, I, I, I think there was probably much ado about nothing, but better to do more than less, I guess, right? Be- better safe than sorry. I get it. But like, ugh, it's annoying here, man. I'm going insane. Yeah, really. just been watching movies for like five days, right? <laughs> I've been like pounding away at, at some movies. Oh, my God. I watched. I watched. Things. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been watching movies and shows and, you know, getting stuff out of the way. Finished Queen's Gambit. Uh, Can we uh, talk about Queen's Gambit? Can we just spend two hours on Queen's Gambit? <laughs> How no, we fucking talk- great is this show? It's really good. I oh, my God. It's amazing. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun. It's a nice, Kinda. nice little. I mean, at times it's fun. <laughs> No, I, I really, really like the show. It's dope. Yeah, I'm not sure all of the binge drinking and and uh, and opioid use is necessarily fun, but no, no. Yeah. But like, it's nice seeing you know Anya Taylor Joy and her wide eyes like uh, uh, kick some Russians' asses in chess. What's wrong with that? It's awesome. Okay, it's awesome. Spoilers for Queen's Gambit. <laughs> okay, let's just talk Queen's Gambit for a second because I thought okay. like the first six episodes of the show were just magnificent. Like among mm-hmm. the best TV I've seen this year, it's like Better Call Saul and this are my two shows of the year. I think. <laughs> wow, I mean, I like yeah. the show a lot. I, I'm not, like even for what I've seen of Better Call Saul, I'm not sure it's that good, but it's up there. It's, it's probably cool. not, but I, I I just loved it. I thought Scott Frank's direction and writing were just immaculate. Like it just like a masterful effortlessness that I have not seen out of a television show in just quite a long time. Like the decision-making was so precise and so minimalist. And like, I just think he got every, he, he milked every ounce out of that script and, and out of these actors and out of uh, those six episodes. I, I really loved it. Seventh episode of that show. Like it just becomes Rudy, right? Like it just Rudy? becomes a sports movie. <laughs> it I becomes guess. Rocky four. You mean like when she just starts like plucking away all these guys like, yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha, all the way down to Borgoff or whatever his name is? Yeah, when she goes to the tournament and like all of the dudes in her life are conveniently in an apartment together in the lower or the upper west side, whatever, and they're they're listening to the results over the phone and reading the, you know, the play by play and the times. I'm just like, okay, this is just another sports movie, which is fine. 
But I think I preferred the first six episodes where Anya Taylor-Joy almost like died three times of, of alcohol poisoning. I don't know. I don't know. I love that character. It's sort of a fascinating character. I mean, uh, I, I, well, hmm. I'm trying to think of like where I square with it. Cause I really like the show. I'm, um, uh, I just thought it was fun. I'm not like, I'm not as like fascinated by it. I think as you are. Yeah. Um, although I think the character work is really strong and Scott Frank's direction is pretty dope. Um, I really love there's, there's actually a great shot. I think it's in the seventh episode where there's like a, it's like just little touches throughout the show. One, one of which I like is like this little power shift where they, they, she's talking with like her father and the camera starts with like him with a lower angle or him or her at a higher angle and they kind of switch roles. The, the, the more the scene progresses where she's like framed below and he's framed from beneath as she starts to one up him and it starts to, it, it, it reflects like the the chess player element of the entire show. Right. So I thought that was really smart. I thought the direction for me was 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 quite strong and it was just fun uh, to watch unbelievable. on that level. Yeah. yeah, the stuff he did with the camera and the montages, like the amount of just yeah. unbelievable yeah. montages in this. Like yeah. the editing was so good. Like all of those chess matches. I mean, I've played a little chess in my life. I, I'm not like a chess expert by any means or an enthusiast, but. Each like match had its own tone and feel, despite mm-hmm. the fact that you didn't know what was happening in any of them. Like I don't know what the Queen's Gambit is. I don't I don't know what all of these particular opens and end games were. And I did I don't understand the nuances of chess strategy. Um but the the sort of innovations he did behind the camera, what he was able to do with the camera, just in very subtle movements and cuts. I thought was pretty amazing. And I thought every montage, every time like the camera panned out of one room and moved into another one, you just learned yeah. so much information about the place and about the characters. And yeah, I, I, I could not agree with you more. I just, he gets so much out of the camera and, and uh, like, that's just masterful direction. That's the type of show that you make 20 years into your Hollywood career. You don't make that off the bat. You know, it's very mature in that way. It's always weird to see screenwriters transition that way. I'm always yeah. surprised. Some of them can do it well. Some some can't. But you know, Aaron know, Sorkin it, it not makes, so well, right? No, not really. <laughs> but yeah. it makes me curious, like to see like what other like traditional screenwriters would do if they were given the chance to direct their own movie. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. it is a really it's it is one of those surprising Netflix uh, shows that you know I'm skeptical of Netflix in general, and their shows are so hit, hit or miss for me to the point where I just I I, I stop bothering because I don't know the percentages. It might even be lower than that. They're, I feel like they have more misses, honestly. It gave you um, Mindhunter, though. Gave me Mindhunter. And honestly, though, I think my favorite show that I got was um, The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Okay. I, lo- I loved that. I loved that. I, didn't, I haven't watched Blythe Manor yet, but Hill House I adored. Mm. Uh, and Mindhunter is like just bingeable as soon as I watch it. I can't stop watching it. So there's that. But yeah, this is like uh, another another great addition to their catalog, and I was quite happy to see it. And like I said, Anya Taylor Joy is just like kicking ass, at least in this, better than I'm sure she was in New Mutants. So. Uh, I can confirm that. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I, I do want to go back and see Scott Frank's show Godless that he made for Netflix a few years ago. Jeff Daniels is in it. Merritt Weaver's in it. Um, and it's just like an old Western. I think it's also seven episodes. And I heard really okay. good things about it. I am dying to go back and watch that now because I was so damn impressed with that show. Okay. That's good. Um, anyway, we have a lot to get to today. Uh, mm. We haven't talked any movies yet. And there's a lot of movies no. that we have to get to. We are doing something today that, well, I have a name for it. I guess you could approve or disapprove of it. I'm calling it Make the Case. 
I'm not debating anything really. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, okay. I envision this as us just like talking about movies that we like that everybody else hates mm-hmm. and not so much debating it, just, just giving our opinions as best we can. Okay. Not so, so much debating. Yeah. All right. Just, uh, how about, yeah, I don't okay. care. I don't care to debate these movies. I just don't. So these are <laughs> love letters to what most people consider trash. I guess. How about one man's trash? Is that a good is that a good name for this episode? <laughs> I suppose because like my choices, for example, I think are all good movies, and I'm sure you feel the same way about yours to a degree. I do indeed. Okay. Yes. It's just hot takes, man. It's just sure. hot takes. That's what it hot is. Takes. I want to be clear about something though. None of the movies I selected, and I think you feel the same way, are movies that we think of as guilty pleasures. Or no. just so bad that they're good. This is not why is this a thing material. Like there, there, there's a very fine line between liking it earnestly and liking it ironically. There's not a single movie on this list I like ironically. All of them I think are good and I just flat out disagree with the consensus on them. Okay. Do you feel the same way? About my Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Good. So we have six of those movies. You selected three. I selected three. And I guess yeah. we're putting one into the movie Hall of Fame. What? No, we're what? not. I, we're not. We're not? Doing, what? I didn't think. No, you said we weren't going to do that. What? And I thought you like vetoed me on that. No, I didn't. I'm like, no, none of these movies should be in the movie Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, I thought I, I, I did propose that idea, but I thought you, you wanted to go back to the original format. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I thought it was the opposite. I was like, wait, I think I asked like, wait, are we inducting one? And, yeah, then and I, I said were, no. And you were like, no, nah, okay. let's go back to the original. No, 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 no. I was saying let's go back to like just talking about hot takes because remember we were like going through like, should we uh, talk about this kind of movie or that kind of movie? Like, does it pertain to sequels? Does it pertain to franchise? It was like right. complicated. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Going to, to these like these very complicated like criteria for what which movies we wanted to talk about and then i was just right. like okay let's just go back to talking about movies that we like that everyone hates and that's that's the show yeah and I'm, that and I'm with you but i still think that it's the movie hall of fame and we should induct one of them into the movie hall of fame i think that's what we do here wow uh right yeah i think Really? I don't think yeah. any one of these have a, have a place, but like, okay. Well, we'll find out. I guess one I will, guess so. and we'll find out which one in a minute. Uh, so that's coming in a bit. Uh, one Man's Trash here on the Movie Hall of Fame. First, though, um, I, I, we do need to actually pay off a, a promise that I made to a listener. Um, and I should really pull up that email right now. But we had a recommendation from a listener a few weeks ago about yep. a hidden gem that he enjoys that he wanted us to talk about and we are here to please as always and yep. uh i guess now we're gonna do it right mm-hmm. so, so this comes from listener nick um who uh had stumbled onto our show and told us about this movie called the beast of war aka the beast. the beast yes you find it now as the beast right yeah okay uh, it was directed by Kevin Reynolds and stars a number of character actors that you may recognize from other things. I guess Stephen Baldwin is the most notable and yeah. is from 1988. It's a movie that uh, Roger Avery, Tarantino's old writing partner, co-writer, of course, of Pulp Fiction, had on his, I think, as his best movie of 1988 on Letterboxd. Roger Avery is very active on Letterboxd and he really likes this movie a lot. Um, 
is a is I think a cult classic among a certain crowd. Three point five on Letterboxd, seven point three on IMDb, eighty four percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so uh, yeah, okay. Let me let me just read from Nick's email here. I continue to pester Criterion to do something to save this movie from continual obscurity, but I no longer get anything back from them. Oh, well. Please seek this film out. It's available on DVD and streaming, so it won't be difficult to track down. And if you see it, let me know. Um, it's, uh, he, yeah, he, could, he considers it... What did you say? Oh, yeah. I stumbled upon this movie. It completely blew me away. And uh, ever since, I've been desperately trying to convince everyone across movie fandom to give it a shot and hopefully drag out of complete obscurity. So this is our attempt to do so. Uh, you okay. watched this movie on Amazon. I did as well. What would you think of it? Very good. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Very good. Very, very good surprise. And um, it, I, I wasn't getting it just by looking at some of the promotional stuff and by seeing some of the images on on um, on just uh, Google and just the look of the movie. I'm like, is this going to be like another Rambo? I couldn't quite tell. Um, and then I watched it and immediately the movie begins with a fucking village getting destroyed and yeah. a tr- horrible atrocities happening. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh, it's this kind of movie. Okay, it's not going to fuck around. I like this. Um, uh, and I just thought it was an awesome story. I mm. thought it was a really, really good story with some interesting character work and a good psychological element to make all the 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 the, the crazy transitions for the essentially where the characters go to make all those moves very believable and uh i love like the the, the, the i guess the fact i wasn't sure like what this movie was going to be if it was going to be a like a <laughs> i think there was a bit of me that was worried it might be like a propaganda piece um, but it is very much just a staunch anti-war film and sort of about the way uh, people, if they're in the battle for too long, just, you know, are, are sort of beyond saving. Um, and it almost makes a point about the nobility of like certain types of battle versus other kinds of battle with the Mujahideen and the Russian soldiers and the differences between why those two sides are fighting. And it was very interesting and it kind of illustrated a side of this war that I didn't know because I'm not as familiar with this conflict, but it was great. Awesome mm. movie. Yeah, I, I I felt the same way. Uh, it's uh, it is kind of a strange political movie in that way. It is staunchly anti-war and and I think at times takes a, a both side approach that mm-hmm. I I think some people might be a little bothered by. I wasn't in this case. Again, I'm not particularly familiar with this conflict um, or you know the Soviets' involvement in Afghanistan. This is about yes, a bunch of Soviet soldiers, as you said. Um, in a tank, just killing people in Afghanistan and uh, them sort of getting trapped, cornered um, in uh, in the middle of the desert. I think the thing was actually shot in Israel, so it has a lot of that like authentic Middle East feel to it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of strange because the main characters are Russians, but they are all played by American, American. actors. And they all speak English and they yep. make no attempt to even like put on a Russian accent. It's like Sean nope. Connery and Hunt for Red October. It's pretty crazy. So it's a very Americanized story about Soviets. And I think like that sort of rang as as hollow and insincere. And I, I think I would have preferred a little more of an effort because clearly this is a very anti-Soviet movie. I thought that was the point, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't even totally uh, uh, address it as like completely anti-Soviet. I thought like... 
by casting the American actors, it sort of changes the entire meaning of the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it adds a veneer of like, like, cause it's not, it's not for the Soviets. It's more for Americans. Mm. So yeah, it, I guess it uses that conflict, which was kind of fresh at the time to illustrate something more about the way that Americans fight more so than Soviets. Hmm. So it felt more to me anyway, like it was making more of a clearer point about just the the wars in the Middle East than so much the Russians versus the, the Middle Easterns. So like yeah. when I watched it, like even though I know they're supposed to be Russian, I couldn't help but think that the filmmakers were more so intending for that to re- reflect the, I guess, atrocities committed by the Americans. Okay. That was my reading of it anyway. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, I buy that. I just think in general, like a war movie is good the more focused it is. Like I, I just I think wouldn't say like, this is unfocused. Did you no, think it was unfocused? No, no, I, I I that is my point. I think it's incredibly focused, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. Um mm. you know, sometimes it's just easy to just sort of hone it down to one singular conflict. Um, you know, I think about a movie, I, I hate to keep harping back on this, but one of the things I didn't like about The Longest Day is that there are so many characters and it's so sprawling and the movie never quite knew exactly what it wanted to say. Um, whereas this movie is just like guys in a tank against the Afghanis and uh, <laughs> are the Afghans Afghanis? How do you say Afghans? I just because Afghans, yeah. Okay. Against the Afghans. And it's like, uh, there's an evil commander in the tank and he's killing his own men. And I I don't know, like it was just very simple and easy to understand. It was, it had a nice sense of place. You understood where each character fell, uh, you know, on any particular conflict, any particular moral quandary. You knew what each character thought at any given moment. Um, it just has like, you know, a saving private Ryan approach. Like, save the boy so he can go home to his mom and like it's a two and a half hour movie and it's very sprawling and it's very epic but it never loses sight of that focus and i felt a similar way about this sometimes to its own detriment like i think the idea of a russian soldier being left for dead by his own men and then joining the afghans to (laughs) kill his own comrades i think is a little bit of a stretch um and i do think like it's simplified the the broader conflict to just I hate you so I'm gonna work for the other team now you know it was just it, it simplified something that I think runs a little deeper um, in the human psyche um, and in that way like yeah I I, I thought of it more as like a, a really compelling action movie than uh, a, a like sprawling statement on the nature of war and the nature of man <laughs> which I'm okay with like I'm okay with an action movie yeah, in a war backdrop um, and that's sort of what this thing was. Uh, was it distracting that the characters spoke like Americans and <laughs> did not even yeah. like attempt a, a lick of Russian while the Afghans are still played by, you know, actual Middle Eastern people and they actually speak the language? Yeah, it was distracting. Um, but I, I actually uh, agree entirely with you and with Nick. I thought this was a very solid 80s movie that I had never heard of and that more people yeah. should pay attention to because I, I, I do think that it is super, super compelling and focused and cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I want. Yeah, it, it borrowed for, for me. It, I guess the closest comparison is Platoon. It's very Platoon. It's the only thing that I was yeah. like, if I were criticizing anything about it, it's that it did borrow quite a bit from that movie, just in terms mm-hmm. of like structure and sort of uh, character issues. Uh, in a good character issues, though. I mean, um, yeah, I, I every I movie yeah. has been borrowing from Platoon, by the way, for the last forty years. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Every war movie way. is Platoon. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. Not longest day, but that came before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a good movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Very different kinds of movies, though. Like, the, the, like I wouldn't compare anything, uh, anything uh, like this, anything cl- like Platoon to The Longest Day. I mean, they're they're trying to achieve very, very different things and want to sort of an, an action movie that's more of a document of an event more so than like one singular focused piece with just like two different people essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it neither bother me because I think they're so effectively done. But um, yeah, this is just sort of like a, a, a pick your poison kind of thing. I like, you know, the a, a war movie if it's going to choose to be this personal because you would think that something like this would be even more sprawling than it is. But when I talked about the film in a review, I was like, it's just really just these two people. And I don't know, like like not complicating the story any more than it already is was kind of important because if you if you add too much, I for me... Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example where like, uh, the, 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 I don't know, too many characters is an issue for me. Maybe it's Dunkirk. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dunkirk is an an example where it's like, I don't know what that movie is trying to say. Um, but, um, but in here, I, I guess the fact that it goes for something and makes a fine point is what's important. So yeah, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. As contained as the tank that they rode around in. (laughs) <laughs> but Unlike I also Fury, which is not I a was good just movie. About, Did you see Fury? I like Fury, but it's not great. Um, um, yeah, I, I was gonna say like one of the things I also liked about this movie, as opposed to something like Fury, was just like what defines the horror of war. It's not necessarily insane action. It could just be drinking from a puddle uh, right. and being poisoned by the puddle. And I just love that type of subtlety, where it's like everything you could possibly hope for to be a good thing in this desert is just cut short by just people being pieces of shit. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I was actually quite taken aback by that in a good way. I just like, okay, a tank movie with hardly any like, like insane tank f- fighting where it's like most of the horrors of war happened. Like I said, just with those puddles. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Good movie. Stream it on Amazon prime. If you are so inclined, it is available to all prime subscribers. The beast of war. Awesome villain, by the way, in this movie too. What a fucking. Oh psycho. yeah. Really good villain. Really, really good villain. Yeah. The river scene, awesome. Love that river scene. Oh God, so good. When they get on the helicopter, yeah. Get off the helicopter. (laughs) We're oh my God, great moment. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Nick, for that recommendation. And by the way, this is open to everyone. I always get recommendations for why is this a thing. I don't often get them for this show, but if you want Adam and I, your two favorite podcasters, to Mm. shoot the shit about a movie that you love. Do let us know. We're always looking for deep cuts. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. with it. Give there it to me. There yeah. we go. All right. You seen anything else recently? Uh, I watched Dune. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that another day. And I'm watching the Dune miniseries. I'm three hours in. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Look I'm all COVID duned up, baby. You. Yeah, we'll <laughs> save that. I did watch Possessor. I watched oh. Possessor last night. Oh, that is the uh, uh, the uh, Cronenberg, Sam Cronenberg. Is that his name? Brandon Cronenberg. His Brandon kid. Cronenberg. Okay. Yeah. And oh boy, man, this is a movie. It is such a movie. Oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> it's so, it's so me. It's so fucking me. It's like this. It's as slow as you could get. It's weird and creepy and cerebral and so violent. Uh but man, is it just a trip? 
it's just a great concept that is executed flawlessly. And uh, I was just, I, when I watched it, I was just worried that it was going to be Brandon Cronenberg, Cronenberg trying to emulate his dad. And it's not that at all. And it made me very happy for him to go in that direction. Um, all the actors are great. Janet, uh, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's really good, but the, the, the guy from It Comes at Night, I don't know that actor's name, but he is awesome in this movie. And the chick who plays Mandy, whoever she is, she's fantastic in this as well. Oh, it's nice. Just like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you'll, you would watch it and, see, and maybe see some uh, Panos resemblance here and there, at least with the colors. But uh, it's, it's a little more uh, conventionally narrative driven than anything that Panos does. So uh, I, I guess it's more accessible in that way. But like... Yeah, this movie knows how to do an uncomfortable close-up, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, really? I've heard a lot of people like you raving about this movie online, and I, I figured you would like it. It's not an easy movie to recommend. Um, I don't know if you would like it. Um, probably not, but uh, it's definitely where, worth... Where is it streaming on? I mean, it's uh, you can rent it on Amazon Prime for like three bucks. Okay. So yeah, you could find it pretty easily. That's what I did. I just rented it. Um, but yeah, um, really um, good movie for any anybody who's interested in sci-fi horror. Because this is, and it's not just a, it's not like horror in like the boo, I gotcha kind of way. It's just the feeling of the movie is so uncomfortable. And like the what the main character is forced to do, like I, I can't really spoil anything, but her occupation is just the most twisted fucked up thing imaginable and it's the closest thing that relates to Cronenberg's interests in storytelling because there was like a blending here with some of the ideas that are in Videodrome I guess in terms of the way like technology uh, causes conspiracies and is controlling you in that way but and in a very different way um, and it just kind of chilled me to the bone just the idea I'm like ooh god if that if that were ever real it would <laughs> it'd be the most horrifying thing so yeah uh, cool. All right, Possessor. We may be talking about that later this year. Top ten list. Maybe. You never know, right? I got to figure. Out, yeah, I don't know where it ranks on my list. We'll check it out. All right, One Man's Trash. Okay, is another man's masterpiece. Uh, six yeah. movies, three from you, three from me, that we consider good that the public does not. They are 2006's The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, 2008's Mamma Mia. 2013's Elysium, 2008's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, 2011's Vanilla Sky, and 1990's The Godfather Part 3. Yes. The Godfather. Yeah. In the movie Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. The Godfather Coda, I was going to say. The death of Marco Corleone. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk in a moment yeah. about that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I have us alternating films here. Uh, so I'll go first here with 2006 is the fast and the furious Tokyo drift <laughs> directed by Justin Lin starring Lucas Black, Sung Kang, little Bow Wow and Brian T. A teenager becomes a major competitor in the world of drift racing after moving in with his father in Tokyo to avoid a jail sentence in America. This is the third yep. installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, a franchise that I care about deeply, one that you are indifferent towards in general. Um, canonically, let's just talk about it this way. 
This is the third in terms of release, but chronologically, this is actually the sixth Fast and Furious film. The events of this movie take place after Too Fast and Too Furious, but before Furious 7. The post-credit sequence of Fast and Furious 6 explain uh, in greater context the death scene of Han in this movie. And it turns out F9, the Fast Saga, which is to be released next year in theaters, is going to further explain that scene. Because according to the trailer, Han is indeed alive and well. And he's back to... What did he slip down a manhole or something? How the fuck do you survive that? (laughs) So are you aware of how like Jason Statham fits into the continuity here? Um, who's, who is he? The, 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 the brother of, I don't know. Is he the brother of the bad guy in six? Yes. Okay. Cause I've seen, okay. To, to, to give you some context, I've seen one, two, three, four, not five, which I know is the best. The best uh, one. <laughs> and I've seen six. So I've seen five now. <laughs> I've skipped over the best one. <laughs> you skipped the best movie. <laughs> And the yeah. second best movie, for that matter. Furious 7 is actually the second best. Okay. At least you've I, yeah. seen the third one now. The third okay. best movie. <laughs> what? This is the third best? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Okay. okay, I had seen like a piece of this movie when I was a kid, and I really mm. didn't like it at all. Mm. It was just mm-hmm. so not for me, and I just, I, I never went back. And I think it was the scene where they, like Han was... Uh, drifting around the two girls i'm like what the hell is this shit (laughs) it's one of those like i'm too sophisticated for this kind of moments even at like 10 years old or however old i was and i'm like okay yeah i'm like okay no thank you thank you fast and furious movies so that was it so this is the first time like sitting down and watching the film entire uh since that date and yeah okay so han is a i need to clarify this for you Han is a friend of Vin Diesel, Dom Toretto, Mm -hmm. and his crew. Obviously, if you've seen those movies, you know that Han was involved in some way in future heists. Um, He was also the love interest of Gal Gadot in those movies. And it was very very tragic when Han suddenly passed (laughs) at the end of Tokyo Drift. Um, In Tokyo Drift, it seems fairly obvious that in the midst of a of a race across the city of Tokyo, Han is hit by a mysterious car and bursts into flames because of an oil leak. Right? I think that is pretty obvious in the movie. Turns yeah. out, indeed, no, that is not what happened. Justin Lin conveniently cut around the particular scene because you may have missed in the background Jason Statham as Deckard Shaw was there. He was the guy in that car that crashed into into Han. It was totally unrelated to the race that was happening. And this was out of revenge for the death of Deckard Shaw's brother, who was killed at the end of Fast and Furious 6. He takes revenge out on Dom Toretto by killing his good friend Han. Uh, and at the end of Fast and Furious 6, in the post-credit sequence, that scene is played again, this time from a new point of view. Jason Statham walks up to the car, lights a match, and kills Han in a fiery place. Okay. So. 
What a load of bullshit. <laughs> That's what that conversation is all about. When Vin Diesel is, uh, you know, meets Lucas Black at the end of this movie. By the way, does Lucas Black like seem like the oldest 16 year old in a movie ever? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I guess so. He's oldest 16 year old. This, this However guy, old I don't he know. is. He does not belong <laughs> on the screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I look at this guy. I'm like, why are you here, man? Please. Your voice is... is uh, I, don't, I don't mean to besmirch the Texans, but like, what the... <laughs> it's, it's just so funny to me. <laughs> Every time this guy talks, it makes me laugh. He's not good in this movie. I'll give you that. No. He is not good. That being said, I think Sung Kang is very good as Han, and yeah. I would consider this movie to be more of a Han showcase and I think it's I no surprise that the franchise ended up putting him in, uh, in in subsequent movies because I do think like he is in many ways the star of this thing. I agree with you. Lucas Black doesn't necessarily have the leading man chops. I lo- I mean Han. I love that character. Han Han's great. Yeah. Uh, if the whole movie were just him, it'd be uh, a thousand times better in my eyes. Mm. So yeah, there's there's that. It's got Han going for it. That's the best thing about this movie, as far as I'm concerned. Because otherwise, I I just. I don't know. I don't want to like talk like 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 I don't want to be mean about any of these movies or anything. I, I that might happen. But for now, I, I could be uh, respectable because I me personally, I just thought this movie was just totally disposable personally. And I, I was hoping at least maybe I could get something out of the action sequences and I was very underwhelmed by them. I thought it was just a collection of the same shot after the same shot where it's a pan from left to right or vice versa of a car drifting around a corner again and again and again and again and again. And I'm just like so tired of it by like the first race. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do it. There's nothing interesting going on here. It's like, I'm, I'm, I mean, what do you get? What else you have to show me? A bunch of hot. Uh, Japanese girls, great. I, I, you know, I, I, I see that on the internet uh, every every other day. Um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. How about I, I the hot like, American girl at the beginning? Oh yeah, me. The, hot Ameri- the yeah. winner gets me. Me. <laughs> this is such a movie. Oh my god, this is such a movie. <laughs> such a movie. Okay. I, 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 yeah. Just whatever. Just whatever from me. Okay, here's my take on this. First of all, this is Justin Lin's debut into the mm-hmm. Fast and Furious franchise. In many ways, he has sort of taken the franchise on as his own. Uh, Chris Morgan was the original writer of this series, and they've gone through a number of directors, but Justin Lin has been the guy that has stuck around the longest, I think. Uh, he made... Fast and Furious 3 through 6 is returning for Fast 9 and is also going to supposedly close the franchise with 10 and 11, which are now in pre-production. Um, I, I I think the second he enters the fold, like the action sequences just take a step up. Too Fast, Too Furious is a very bad movie that I think is fun, but is very not good. Um, and the first movie, I think, is just like deeply whatever. I I, I think it fits in with a lot of like direct to VHS indie action releases of the early two thousands. And I, I don't think with the exception of Vin Diesel, that movie stands out on its own all that much. I think once Justin Lin shows up, there's a sleekness to the action. There's a coherence to the action 
that was not present before. And I remember watching this franchise. I marathoned the whole thing in a row. It took me a week to get through the entire thing. Watched, I think at the time, all seven movies in a row. And I remember mm-hmm. being very underwhelmed by one and two. And then I watched this one and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Now I see what they're going for here. Like there was just a little bit of self-awareness and that's all it really took. Just a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of sleek, a little bit of polish on top of the exterior of the car, if you will. And that was enough for me. Uh, I agree with you. The Lucas Black performance, not great. I think Han is awesome. Lil Bow Wow is a lot of fun. I love his fucking Hulk car. I remember the Hulk car being awesome. (laughs) I want that car. Sure. And here's also what I'll say about the movie. I think it is the Fast and Furious movie that cares most about street racing. And at this point, none of them care about street racing. They just care about Vin Diesel's abs. That's the Mm -hmm. only thing that they care about now. Um, This is the one that I think takes street racing the most seriously. It is most obsessed with the cars. Um, I think the car chases are legitimately compelling in a way that they aren't in other movies. I think for the most part, I just sort of shrug off the the car chases in Fast and Furious. And it's the hand-to-hand <clears throat> combat that I find most compelling. Um, yeah. And so I, I think like just in terms of the car chases themselves, th- this is the movie that I think has the most there visually. And, and it is the first Fast and Furious movie and perhaps the only one that made me interested in the cars that they are driving because you know oh. me, I don't give a fuck about cars. But in this mm. one, I did. Um, I think it's a little better than you're letting on. And I think maybe you're buying into some of the mainstream <laughs> media's response to this movie. I think the early reviews were way too negative. And in fact, the only boy out there that was defending this shit was our boy, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert yeah. was out on the streets of Tokyo defending this movie and uh, you know, I think we all did we all did him wrong by oh, by, by, by shrugging it off so soon. Okay, it's a good movie. I'll reference Roger Ebra later. I'll I'll agree with him on other things later on in the pod. But yeah, no, dude, there's nothing compelling about the car chases in this movie. I mean, maybe there was back then, but now they're just like so forgettable to me. I don't think there's much like that's exciting about the way they're filmed or much about the the characters inside of those cars that was really grasping me, it's, which is why like if ever there was a car accident, I'm like, okay, cool. And I just kind of like turned away. Uh, I just think the movie's stupid. I don't know. I don't know. I think <laughs> it's, dare you. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of, fl- I, and I know that's the point. It's a popcorn movie, but like at a certain p- point, a lot of this flashiness just got kind of grating for me. And I, I need a, a little more fun and it got boring. It got a little boring for me. I'm sorry. You know, I was, I was, I was not totally interested in, in anything. I don't know what there was to be interested about with the, the drag racing elements or, or the street racing at all. There's like one awesome shot for me that really stuck with me, which is when the cars were drifting through the crowd of people in that square. That was great. Um, yeah. I guess otherwise, like, I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, it, it feels like a kind of movie that just kind of leaves my head. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have much to say about this movie. I'm just, it's just deeply whatever for me. I'm a, I'm a little more, and I, I, I don't know what it is about the first movie. I'm honestly a little more compelled by that one. <laughs> I hate well, to say it. it's about family. 
It's all about family. It's about family. There's something about the storytelling and the in the, the well. There's there's a little more to the storytelling and the character work. I I I, I rem, at least I remember the scene where they're hijacking the the truck at the beginning, and I'm like, ooh, I've never seen anything like this before. That's kind of neat. That's fun. Uh, it, you know, the movie's fast and it's furious. <laughs> Yeah, it, I I don't know, man. Like these movies are just—they do absolutely nothing for me. I I've never seen the appeal personally. So you know, six one day, fun, but one mm. one day you will be. I mean, come on, six. How about that that never-ending runway? Come on, exactly. <laughs> one of the great scenes yeah, in all of cinema. Six is fun. I like six. I don't know. I I I don't know, man. Wait till you get to the giant safe. Just being dragged around the streets of Brazil. I think they're in Brazil. I think they are. Unbelievable. Too, yeah. yeah, I've I've heard about that one. <laughs> Fast apparently. five. Fast five, baby. One of the great action movies ever made. You know, I'll, one I'll day you will be you'll be sitting on your deathbed and you'll and I'll be long gone by that point. <laughs> only the good die young, as they say. Uh, but you'll be sitting, you'll be laying in your bed and you'll be lonely and you'll be watching Alien Three for the twentieth time. And you'll feel a lot of regret for not giving the Fast and Furious series its fair shake. And I and I just believe in my heart of hearts with your last dying breath as your eyes close and the darkness starts to invade your <laughs> consciousness that you will acknowledge that the one regret in your life is how you treated this sacred franchise. And deep down, you'll know that I'm right. What okay. percentage of these movies have I seen? How many movies are there? Uh, there are eight that have been released. If you include Hobbs and Shaw, there are nine. Okay. Well, I'm not including Hobbs and Shaw, so that's that. I've seen five of these movies, Nico, and they don't really do much for me. (laughs) I think I've given, Mm -hmm. I think I've given them more of a fair shot than you have. Let me put it, let me ask you a question. If you saw five movies in a franchise and you Mm -hmm. didn't like any of those five, what would you think about that franchise? Obviously I wouldn't like it, but I would, I would need (laughs) a little more context (laughs) <laughs> because again, you have not seen the two best movies. So what? You haven't seen the two best ones. <laughs> so what? You saw the third best one at least. Oh, I saw that's the, good. News. If this that's is the third news. best one, that's really sad. <laughs> Number three, baby. I don't know. I, 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 I this is this, this is the one where I'm just like I I don't know what to say about this movie. It 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 very much is what it is. <sighs> All right, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Mamma Mia. Yeah. From 2008 this is an Adam <laughs> selection. Directed by Felita Lloyd, starring Amanda Seyfried, Stellan Skarsgård, Piers Brosnan, Colin Firth, and Meryl Streep. Winner of Worst Supporting Actor at the Razzie Awards. That is Piers Brosnan wins that trophy. Uh, Big running theme on today's program, just going to tell you. They did very well with Roger Ebert. They did very poorly with the Razzies. Mm-hmm. Okay, the only two people apparently, the Razzie voting committee and uh, Roger Ebert, liked most of these movies, or at least uh, acknowledged most of these movies. Did not like Mamma Mia, as a matter of fact. This was Roger's actually least favorite movie of the six. But anyway, the story of a bride to be trying to find her real father, told using hit songs by the popular 1970s group ABBA. Yep. This is your film, bro. Make the case. <laughs> we have to start by saying that. Okay, here's my question to you: Do we, we, we're gonna, we don't think any of our movies are great movies. I'm, I'm guessing, right? No, all Absolutely of the movies not. we. Okay, all of the movies we've picked have issues. <laughs> That's the point. I, 
I mean, I suppose that some people could see issues with some of my movies, but I choose not to acknowledge them. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's I think what I'm these are at. I think these are very good movies. Now let me be clear, I'm not ironically arguing for any of them. Yeah. I don't think any of the movies I picked are perfect movies. I'd like to say that. Well, nobody's but perfect. I def- no, that's true. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, I definitely think there's probably more than some people give it credit to. Um, in this movie, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not in a million years what I think a movie like this would be my cup of tea. And um, I was I, to this day, I still don't understand <laughs> why this movie works for me as much as it does. I don't know what it is. There's just something so heartwarming and charming about this one. Um, and I kind of love how much fun everybody is having in this movie. And maybe that's part of it when the entire cast and crew and the director, like, oh, my God. What was, what was the, dir- the director's name again? Uh, her name is Felita Lloyd. Okay. When you can feel the director dancing with the movie, you have a hell of a movie. I just want to say that. And yeah, it's it's sort of undeniable. Like that, like even though like you could criticize this movie for being just cheesy beyond belief and and just fluffy to a point where it's obnoxious, you could just call this movie obnoxious and I would totally get it. Um, I I. I don't know, man. There's an infectious quality to it that just works for me. And as opposed to other jukebox movies, which I don't normally like at all, um, I think the idea of keeping this um, focus to just ABBA gives this movie a very specific identity that it wouldn't have otherwise if it was pulling from God only knows how many other artists. So ABBA, in a way, becomes a character in and of itself for this movie. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Which is why, like, so many people associate it. You're such a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. I'm not even sure a lot of people would disagree with me for that, even if they right, like it. All or right, hate Pauline it. Kale. So, okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, Pauline, fuck Pauline Kale. In many ways, Ab is its own character. Oh, stop it. <laughs> No, okay. You I over actually, there defending defending Fast and Furious. Shut up. <laughs> I I do actually strangely agree with you. I think that is actually a good observation that most jukebox musicals, say like Rock of Ages or whatever, do pull from a lot of different sources and for the most part are unrelated. So there really isn't that sort of musical motif that runs yep. through the entire thing. There at, there is at least tonal consistency to this movie that you don't get out of jukebox musicals generally. Oh, yeah. And I certainly think that like the music, they like the aesthetic and the tone of the movie is very at home with what ABBA's music is like. So it's Mm. not like you're 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 playing this like really bright and fluffy movie. And then all of a sudden fucking something in the way starts playing by Nirvana. It's like, what? Right. It's like, right. That would make no sense. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you. I also agree. Everyone is having a fucking blast in this movie. Hundred percent. Maybe to a fault to probably to a fault, but it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I think in some instances there's a fault. Um, okay, so here here's my story with it, and then uh, I'll, I'll get to my thoughts, I guess. So when my sister was a child, this movie came out when she was five years old. I, I think when once it came out on DVD the following year, she was six. Her and her best friend, whose name was also Sophia, much like uh, Amanda Seyfried's character in the movie, somehow got their hands on the DVD and watched it, I think, every day for the next four years. That's at least what it felt like to me. <laughs> oh, no. That's, too, mean, that's DVD, too much. <laughs> this DVD, I, I mean, I don't know how worn out this thing is, how many pieces it's in currently. 
um, if if it's actually like melted into the DVD player. So much play out of yeah. that one DVD every day, just in my house, fucking Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia and Winner mm-hmm. Takes It All, just etched into my brain. Um, and so, yeah, I've I've seen this movie a lot. And yep. I think maybe it's not so much that I resisted it the first time, although I did because I was a snot nosed kid and snot nosed kids like to criticize movies like this. Um, I, I think over the years I grew to hate it even more. Like it was just mm-hmm. uh, it, it was grating. It was very grating. The, the, yep. the joy in this movie at first, I think, can feel very infectious, but can ultimately yep. be very irritating. Like, you know those friends that it's like, oh, they're cool to have around a couple times, but they just give one too many hugs? Like, that's <laughs> the problem with this movie. Like, you can, yep. I can go without three hugs every time I see you. Maybe just two. Um, <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much joy. It's too much happiness. And, um, yeah. No, not into it. Not into yep. it generally. Now, I did watch some clips again. from. The, oh, I didn't watch the clips. whole movie again, but I... No, I mean, I... But I put the movie on and I stopped about 45 minutes in. I shouldn't say clips. I watched like half the movie again. Um, and I I will say my nostalgia kicked in a little bit. Okay. Just a hair. You know, I, I think so. Here's what I think. Amanda Seyfried is way too much of a theater kid in this movie. She's sure. way too over the top. Like laying it on... <laughs> Super, super thick. Are you, hold on, hold on. You're saying what? that like the, a character is over the top in Mamma Mia? Oh, go fucking <laughs> figure, okay? <laughs> no, but I'm just saying her performance, it's like she's she clearly did this in high school and now she's just doing it again and it's too much. You don't think she's allowed to do that in this movie? She's too excited. Wh- whatever, who cares? <laughs> Be excited. It's Mamma Mia. <laughs> Tone it down. Uh, what? I think I think I tone it down. <laughs> tone it the fuck down. That's I not going to happen. <laughs> I think Pierce Brosnan is as awful as he always is. Yes, now that I agree with you. Right? I don't know what's going on with him in this movie. I think Colin Firth and Stellan Skarsgård are having a wonderful time. Yep. Um I think Christine Baranski and Julie Waters or Walters, what's her name? Walters are having an unbelievable time as Meryl's yep. pals. Um, particularly Julie Walters, I think is just amazing in this movie. Um, and I think that Meryl is quite spectacular. I will say yes. that. Yes. How can you not like Meryl Streep in this, dude? Come on. Yeah. She, she is. I've never seen that woman have more fun in her entire life. Yeah. Uh, it, it just felt like 40 years of just the theater grind are just sort of let out in this beautiful, beautiful, just sort of release this just release of all these senses. Um, and I, I, I was happy for her watching this. It's like, Oh yeah, you probably performed these songs at the high school talent show. And here you are greatest actress of your generation. And you get to do it for the world to see. I think she's actually very musically gifted. I've here's a hot take for you while we're on yeah. the subject of hot takes. I think Meryl's cover of winter takes it all is better than Abba's. Oh boy. Yeah. I prefer her cover. I actually think like there's a lot of like grit and life in Meryl Streep's voice that comes through in the way that it doesn't in, in an ABBA song. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not like crazy about 
Meryl's singing personally. I think she's fine as a singer, but more, more better as like a physical performer, just the way she gets into it emotionally because she's an actress. Sure. Uh, she's very, she's very good in that way. And I think like the theater kid notion is actually a pretty apt, uh, uh, assessment of the movie where it really just does feel like everyone's just dreamed about expressing this side of themselves, but they were never quite allowed to. Uh, sure. so, so the movie is quite like, like, <laughs> well, kind of it, it, in a way there is a beauty to the movie, not like in the way that there is to like fucking, I don't know moonlight <laughs> okay but there's like a moonlight under the bus <laughs> no i like moonlight now i do i like it more anyway okay. um but um um like like there is there is just something really like sweet about seeing these actors and actresses like like get that out of them you know you know mm-hmm. it's because it's like because it really does feel like it's something that's been repressed in them and seeing them you know presented on stage like this is quite nice and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's why I ride for this movie. It's just that I think it's undeniably infectious in that way. And even if it can get you just a little bit, that's something. So I don't know. Yeah, what no, uh, Mamma Mia, <laughs> How Can I Resist You? I think is a pretty apt uh, observation for a lot of fans of this movie. I think a lot of people feel the same way you do. Uh, again, like I, I don't think I'm ever going to love it the way that it's, it's diehard fans love it. The movie, let's note, did get some appreciation at the Golden Globes, got a Best Musical nomination there, uh, got a sequel. A lot of people say the sequel's better. Have you seen the sequel? I hear the sequel's worse by okay. a lot of people. I've heard it's better. I like. There's a lot of film nerds on film Twitter that really like it. It kind of does like the Godfather 2 thing where mm-hmm. they cast Lily James as a young Meryl Streep, and so they show oh. these two parallel timelines. Uh, I, I've heard that it's, it's very good. A lot of people like it. Um, it's, it's one of the first one's one of Abby's favorite movies mm -hmm. and, um, she doesn't like the second one even close to as much. So, okay. Interesting. So so there's that. What do you think of ABBA? I like ABBA enough. I can't be a huge fan of them. They're just (laughs) not entirely like my, my, my vibe a lot of the time, but I get down to ABBA. Sure. Sure. They're fun. They're just fun. Right. Yeah, they're just fun. I just feel like leave them in the disco, you know? Leave them in the disco. <laughs> just leave them in the disco. Like, now, there's no I reason mean, why we have to, you know, write a, a hit Broadway musical and film adaptation, like, explaining the greatness of these pop songs. You know what I'm saying? They're way better than a lot of disco, though. I'll say that. Like, okay. I, I've heard some disco that just makes me want to kill myself. I really don't like disco, actually. And the fact that I come out with them and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't mind you at all, you know, is, is saying something. Can we do the Donna Summer musical? Can we do that? Sure. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's set a musical off the shore of Greece to the music of Donna Summer. I think I'd be more into that. Big Donna Summer fan? Big. Big time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know what else I didn't realize? Just watching it. What? All these years later. Uh, really horny movie. Oh my god, yeah. Really horny and kind of strange that my parents let my five-year-old sister watch it. Like every day. I I I god damn, I I'm I'm really bad with actresses on this movie, but the the one from Big Bang Theory who uh sings on the beach with all the boys. Christine Baranski. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get much hornier than that. Yes. <laughs> or it, it it takes a lot for an actress to play into that the way that she does. <laughs> Right, because she has sex with like the young dude, the like the hot like bartender. That's the idea, anyway. Yeah, and and she like almost gives him a blowjob on the beach. Is that like the implication of that scene? Almost, yeah. 
Yeah. But she, but she doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, kind of shocking. This movie is so horny. <laughs> Even just Meryl Streep's character having like, like been like the most promiscuous woman on the planet. Like that's kind of the implication that she's had sex with like a hundred people or something like that. You kept it wasn't hundreds. Hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah those bag- bagpipes super sexy uh yeah, yeah no incredibly horny movie i didn't pick up on it as a as a young man and apparently my sister didn't pick up on it thank god she nope. hasn't begged to take a trip to greece and uh and fall in love with some dude mm, i hope <laughs> oh god <laughs> i would love to <laughs> Oh, God. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. That's I, Mamma Mia. I like this movie. Okay, good. Uh, Elysium 2013. Oh, boy. This one feels like it's a long time coming. Written and directed by Neil Blomkamp, starring Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, Charlotte Copley, and William Fickner. In the year 2154, the very wealthy live on a man-made space station while the rest of the population resides on a ruined Earth. A man takes on a mission that could bring equality to the polarized worlds. Oh, my God. Elysium. Okay. Mm. Be honest with me. Mm. Do you only like this movie because of the action? I mean, sure. Big part of it. Is that the is that the only reason why you like this movie? No, I'd like the movie for a number of reasons. What are those reasons? (laughs) I saw this movie twice in the theater. Okay. I paid money twice. This was, I think, what was it, 2013? So it would have been the summer after I graduated high school? Maybe. I went twice. I remember who I saw it with, as a matter of fact. Twice! Paid for the IMAX ticket, paid for the regular ticket. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, okay. So Neil Blomkamp is sort of a... I don't know. What do you consider him? Like a one-hit wonder? Yes. Is he? A, yeah, you think so? Yes. And I think he's I think a some trick, people think of him that way. Yeah. One trick pony too, because all of his films are exactly the fucking same. So I I disagree with that a little bit, but okay. I mean, they all deal with relatively similar themes, and they have a similar they all aesthetic take place in to Johannesburg, them. and yeah, okay. <laughs> a dilapidated Johannesburg, and they look identical, and they could, might as well be sequels. So, but they're not. You sequels. are you are so lucky I didn't nominate Chappie. You're so I lucky. Don't, Here's the thing you have to understand about me is that I don't get Neil Neil Blomkamp and I don't think he's a particularly good sci-fi filmmaker. And even District 9 I have some issues with, even though I like that movie. I don't think it's untouchable, though, like some people claim. Um, and I think he's he's he kind of takes like what would be interesting concepts and makes them rather watered down and stupid and overly accessible. And there's no subtlety to anything that he does. And and part of the reason why I was actually glad that he never got alien five was because I thought his movie would have been horrible. So yeah, I was kind of looking forward to that. If I'm being downright oh, honest I, with you, <laughs> I thought it would have been awful. I thought it would have been so bad. Yeah. Okay. I think there are a lot of, science fiction movies particularly from like the mid to late 2000s that look a lot like neil blomkamp movies and that feel a lot like neil blomkamp movies like i'm will smith has like five of them like neil blomkamp could have easily made i am legend you know Mm -hmm. um but i don't think any of them have the self-awareness and sense of humor that neil blomkamp movies do what (laughs) yeah honestly 100 percent What? whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. did you just say sense of humor yeah no i think his movies are very funny Oh, come on. What are you talking about? 
Dude, what fucking Chappie is a riot. What? <laughs> Chappie's fucking hysterical, dude. Oh, man. Where are you getting this? And this movie's similar in that way. Like, Charlotte O. Copley is hilarious in this movie as, like, the he assassin. Is? He is so fun. No, dude. He's having so much fun. No, this is a non-character. Oh, how dare you? Max is a non-character. Maybe. I mean, you you call, oh, the hair products line funny? Like, Absolutely. what? 100%. I don't know what you're... I, uh, this is one of the most unfunny filmmakers alive. This, Man, guy's, I, this guy's worse than Christopher Nolan. Oh, my. Would you stop it? I'm not kidding. Listen, I I'm don't not think, kidding. I, I don't think the sense of humor is as, uh, is as on the nose as a lot of other science fiction filmmakers. And I think... Maybe something is lost in translation. I can tell you that's certainly the case with Chappie Uh because, you know, this guy is a South African director and has, I think, very South African sensibilities. But I do think, yeah, like the character work is really fun and I think he's always having a good time. And like, I do think like there is a quirkiness and an unusualness to his worlds that you don't see in in a lot of other like very generic science fiction movies of this era. I just this think is like, the most ge- what, 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 this is the most generic thing I've ever seen. I disagree. I <laughs> There's flat no, out disagree, and I flat out disagree with you. I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? Like, part of my issue with this movie is because I think the character work is highly flawed and uh, and forgettable, and like rushed to to an ungodly end. Before I can even sit with the uh, Matt Damon's character to really feel for him. The the movie has him like killed or, or for me to like, like fully understand why he would want to go and do what he wants to do. I get it on paper, but it's not developed. Well, mm. I mean, this movie is moving way too fast for a lot of these ideas to sink. And that's part of the issue with my Neil Blomkamp for me as a sci-fi filmmaker is that he has no patience. Mm. He has absolutely no patience. And Neither anytime do I. Like, Generally, for these types of movies, neither well, do that's I. A, well, th- they're bad movies. <laughs> these are not good movies, dude. <laughs> like Elysium is 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 like uh, I I like some of the aesthetic here and there, and there are a couple cool slow motion action sequences. But other than that, dude, like whatever. It's a movie about healthcare and immigration. Oh my god, that's so cool and interesting. It's not like I see that on CNN or Fox every fucking <laughs> oh, stop. day. But it was 2013. I don't care. It's still that, dude. I saw this in 2013 and I was rolling my eyes. Yeah, a little on the nose, the social commentary. Yes, of course it is. District 9 was similar, though, in that way. And Chappie certainly was. District 9 is at least about something that you and I are not familiar with. It's about apartheid and it's cool in that way. And it does a decent enough job at illustrating those uh, aggressions and anxieties. There is a removal, though. And part of my issue with Neil Blomkamp is that I like I really do disagree with this. I think his character work is really bad. And one of the issues I have with even District 9 is that like like he doesn't ever sink into these characters in like an authentically sympathetic way. It always feels like he's kept way away from them and a lot of the attempts at, you know, I don't know, pathos are just sort of like lame and shoehorned in there. And that's it's less so the case with District 9, it's definitely the case here. Listen, I agree with you. His movies are filthy unsentimental yeah. movies that that mm-hmm. is always the case like i and i don't even think he attempts heart and I, i'm like cool with that because i think like if he tried like an earnest say father-daughter story it would fall entirely flat and i think like the relationship to his family in this movie is underplayed for a very specific reason he is more interested i'm talking about neil blomkamp here more interested in 
the ring above the earth where all yeah. the rich people live. And he's more interested in the junkyard that Matt Damon works at back on earth. And yeah. like, I, I I want you to turn into that. You know what I mean? Like I'm always a big proponent of filmmakers should play to their strengths and not necessarily make the movie that is going to impress the Oscars or impress audiences or impress critics, but that is going to best showcase their singular gifts and their singular skill set. And I think Neil Blomkamp is very good at atmosphere. He's very good at like the conventions of science fiction. He's good at creating creatures and robots and machines. He like the exoskeleton that Matt Damon wears in this movie is a unique sort of bit of costuming and, and set decoration. And like, I just want to hang out in this world and you can beat me over the head with your, your political themes. And that's cool with me. But like, don't try to ham-fistedly shove like a a story about a, a romance or about a daughter into this. Like, just make a grimy science fiction movie. And yes. I appreciate how unapologetic Neil Blomkamp is throughout his entire filmography. Frankly, just making shit that feels grimy, but is also like really quirky and really interesting and cool to look at. And I. I don't know. I find the world of Elysium to be super compelling. I find Jodie Foster to be hamming it up and having a good old time as the villain. I think yep. William Fickner is also a hilarious villain in this when he tells the guy not to breathe on him. Don't breathe on me. <laughs> Cover your mouth. Like, I just think, yeah, it's on the nose and it's silly and it's over the top. But I find it to be charming and I find it to be charming in a way that I don't find other movies of this genre to be. Ow. And you know in that way i find it to be a, a breath of fresh air okay i don't know because i think like that that what you just described like when neil blomkamp does it like the don't breathe on me line you might find that funny but in his direction i think he's very serious when he does that i disagree with that no dude i, I just have to say no to you on this i don't think that's true at all i think he completely believes it and that's my greater issue with this film is that i just find it highly pretentious mm. is that part of the reason why the movie would have worked so much better if it was just an unapologetic action sci-fi movie it would have worked so much better as just that but the movie is very insistent that it needs to inject some of these socio-political themes here and there actually it's all over the place and uh, the fact that to me it never lets up it, it it gets to the point where it's quite distracting so there's not really one scene for me that works entirely because he's always trying to inject these themes that are just so like like uncomplicated and hollow to me. It's like if you were going to really talk about this, you have to spend an entire movie just talking about this one concept instead of all these concepts. You can't really do that, and at least in the way that you're telling this story as an action film. I don't know. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I think there's a little more self awareness than you're letting on. But I just whatever. Don't I mean, agree with did it. you see Chappie? I saw like. Uh, the scene where uh, I, I saw a bit of it with Deant Worth and whatnot and whatever yeah. the fuck they were doing in that movie. Uh, and some of the scenes were like uh, Hugh Jackman is getting really mad in an office and pinning a guy to the desk. And I'm like, what is this? OK, I, 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 that movie felt like a mess. The casting of Deant Worth alone, like just signals to me that you're a little more self-aware than your movie is letting on. I don't know. I think he's getting one over on you. I think he's gotten a rise out of you. <laughs> no. And and no. you know what? And and he I, don't, he I hate it to. when you I hate it when you do this, Nico. No. <laughs> he's got one up on you. Do you know who was supposed to star in this movie? Who? First, the South African rapper Ninja was slated mm-hmm. to be in the lead. When he uh declined, the offer was then sent to one Marshall Mathers himself, Eminem. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is weird. Eminem. Yes. <laughs> Considered for the role before it ultimately went to Matt Damon. I think it's, it's a more interesting movie with Eminem, personally. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Because I agree with you. I think Matt Damon's actually the weakest part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't get that, though. Like, what his, what's his insistence on having, like, musicians in his movies? Aside from it just feeling like he just likes their music. I just think he's having a good time, man. He just wants to cast them. He's playing in a sandbox, and he's given the power to cast them. And but it's not a good idea. Amusing. It's not a good idea. Deantworth's horrible in <laughs> in Chappie. They're terrible. They're fucking awesome in Chappie, dude. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I don't like you defending this guy as much as you do. <laughs> I cannot wait till the next time we do this, and I'm going to nominate Chappie, and it's going to be so much fucking fun. You're going to sit there, and you're going to watch all of Chappie. It's just RoboCop. <laughs> There's even Ed 209 in that movie at the end. It's literally the same exact design as Ed 209. What a great movie. Oh, my God. What a great movie. That's Elysium. I've been defending it for many years. It it holds a soft uh, place in my heart. Man, 2013. What a time, huh? I like I like 2013. That was a good year. That was a good year. Man, I miss it. That that was again at the period where I was seeing at least a movie a week. I might have been there twice a week just at the theater. Oh, really? I just spent an ungodly amount of money on movie tickets that summer. Um, and that's why you see Elysium twice. It's because you run out of shit to see. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, this isn't, uh, yeah, not a favorite of mine. I've always been very frustrated by this movie. All right. Uh, next. Oh, boy. Now we're, get, now we're getting to the big ones here. Yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yep. From 2008, directed by Steven Spielberg. Starring Harrison Ford, Kate Blanchett, John Hurt, Karen Allen, and Shia LaBeouf. Winner of Worst Prequel, Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel at the Golden Raspberry Awards. That's right. In 1957, archaeologist and adventurer Dr. Henry Indiana Jones Jr. is called back into action and becomes entangled in a Soviet plot to uncover the secrets behind mysterious artifacts known as the Crystal skulls we got this idea for the podcast because you sir like this movie i do like this movie i'd like to know why (laughs) uh because it's a blast (laughs) because it's a lot of fun and i really like everybody in the movie and to me uh i love the sense of place in this movie i quite like the general aesthetic i don't like sound stage in encino i don't like all the cgi real sense of space there well, there's plenty of great set work here, dude. And a lot yeah. of people seem to forget about that, and I don't know why. Uh, and there's I think great there's great set work? I mean, like, what, whatever. Sorry. What, in the tomb? Yeah, there's some great set work. How about uh, the, the warehouse? That's some great set work. You know that entire obelisk thing where it closes on the top where they go to the, the, the pyramid in the Aztec uh, 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 place, wherever that is? That's all a practical set. It all looks great. Mm. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I don't get a lot of the criticisms. I understand some of the irritations with the nuking of the fridge, the iconic, infamous nuking of the fridge. And the nuking monkeys. the fridge is the new jump in the shark. That's right. Yeah. I, I understand the monkeys. I understand that car chase. I, oh, God. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. Fucking monkeys. I don't like the monkeys. I don't like uh, pieces of that car chase. That's when the CGI gets the most grating. But I don't think this movie lost everything that people claim it has, especially after like marathoning the movies. There is a point in this movie where it m- more where the issues start to become at the forefront, and it's closer to the third act. Um, 
but I can kind of count on like one hand how many things I don't like about this movie. And um, a lot of people might criticize Shia LaBeouf, and I actually think he's quite good in the movie. You think so? Yeah. And that's wow. a big one for people, and I just don't get that at all. I think he's really good. I think uh, he's I'll, so dorky. No, what? Uh, see, I, think, I, I, I think he's such a fucking douche in this. I really do. I don't see that at all. Okay. I don't see that. I don't know what about his performance signifies dork or douche. Aside from that, he's a greaser? Uh, yeah, he's, but he's, like he's, an unconvincing one. I don't know. Like, I just thought like he was just a punk kid that was from Holes. Like, I, I, seriously, <laughs> That's like, I, when's the I last time he ever transcends movie? just like punky kid from Disney Channel? I really don't. I don't see that at all. <laughs> I just I, I never saw even Steven. So I guess that helps. OK, so uh, I just saw him as like, you know, the, the character he's supposed to play. I think he's actually has a lot of command over that role. I love Shia. You know me. I'm a big yeah. Shia defender. I think like the last few years he's he's turned out some incredible performances. Mm-hmm. I, I think he is just severely miscast in this. I really do. I just I never understood that take. I understand like like the annoyance for him like next to I think a lot of people were pissed off because they thought he was going to try to replace Harrison Ford and mm. that was never going to happen or at least now it's never going to happen. Um well the so movie now kind can, of like signifies that and it's actually kind of clever like Spielberg has Shia pick up the hat yeah. as though he's about to assume the mantle on screen and then Harrison ultimately takes it away and's like yeah no Shia. No. That's like a perfect metaphor for Shia's career right there. You know, <laughs> it's a poor, poor Shia. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I look at him and I'm like, I really like his character and I, I like his motivation in this story. And I, I just like the performance a lot. I like Karen Allen. And a lot of people have said that Harrison Ford's tired. I just totally disagree with that, especially in like the scene where they're driving through Yale and that car chase is fantastic. And uh, it's funny and charming and it's so Indiana Jones. And the only time where, like, a lot of people say there are many instances in this movie where it stops feeling like indie. <clears throat> I think the only point for me where that happens is honestly the, uh, uh, when I see the spaceship and mm. that's it. It's like, but it's only like 10 seconds of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I ride for this movie. I don't think it's, it's by far the worst of the four. I, I agree with that. And so by virtue of that, it's also the worst Indiana Jones film. But in a bubble, it's I don't think it's a bad movie whatsoever. And I don't I certainly don't think Spielberg's lost his chops. I actually like this more than Ready Player One. <laughs> OK, yeah. Uh, all right. Fine. OK, here. OK, put it this way. I have similar issues with Ready Player One as I do this movie. Sure. Just sort of feels like it's the guy that made War Horse directing an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Whereas the first three, it's the guy that made Jaws that's directing the Indiana Jones movies. And I guess. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Harrison Ford is fine. I, I've never had a problem with his performance. I don't think he lost his step. I don't think he lacks energy. I do think that Spielberg lacks a little bit of energy, though, behind the camera. I thought, like, for the most part, pretty formulaic, pretty paint by numbers. I think the cinematography looks good because it's an Indiana Jones movie and he gets good cinematographers to work on these things. And the effects are okay. I think it earned a BAFTA nomination. Um, so I don't think there's nothing there visually, but I do think that he lost a lot of his inventiveness, a lot of the energy, a lot of the the charm and the spice that those original movies do. I think we've talked about this in the past. We just talked about it last week when we did Last Crusade. You believe that the first movie is better than Last Crusade just because it has that like tangible edge to it. Like just yep. In the camera movement, in the lighting, in the performances, like there's just that extra bite that you don't get out of a pretty fun romp. 
which yeah, is what that third movie is. Um, I just think this movie's pretty damn boring, and that's the worst <laughs> thing I can say about it. I'm fucking bored by it. I don't. I don't even think like it's it's like overtly bad enough to to be enjoyable in the way that sometimes mm. that second movie is. Um, you know, that second movie is ludicrous and has you know ludicrous fantastical elements. And this one does as well. And I remember being bothered by it a little bit as a child. But watching this movie again just two nights ago. Oh, boy. You watched it again? I did watch it. It was on Netflix. So I, I streamed it again. It was easy to watch. Uh, like, yeah, all right. Aliens, I guess, are not much far off from the Ark of the Covenant. They're not much far off but from the Fountain of Youth. It's just the next logical step in this franchise, in this absurd Pulp Fiction franchise. And... Uh, yeah, it's just boring. Just boring, my guy. Okay. You know, and that's the problem with it. It just doesn't have any rewatchability for that reason. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I've seen this movie a bunch. I mean, and that's the distinction. Like, I find uh, 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 Tokyo Drift to be insanely boring. Mm. Uh, and But at least this has good characters, man. <laughs> I don't know. At least I enjoyed the setting a lot more. I don't know. Uh, I I also think the music's great, and I, I I don't even disagree with you that Spielberg has lost his edge for making movies like this. I actually totally agree with you, but that doesn't mean there's no edge whatsoever. That doesn't mean that nothing works. That doesn't mean his direction is even bad. It's just not the same energy as he had when he was a kid. Obviously. I just think it's uninspired. Mm, I don't. What do you mean? No, I just think it's pretty damn uninspired. I think he found a formula that works. And yeah. clearly it has worked. Indy is in the desert and he fights some natives and he fights some treasure hunters. And then ultimately he ends up in a room and somebody's body gets deformed. And that's <laughs> the, and that's the formula. They open a box and their body gets deformed. Yep. Um, and so, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I get that. Yeah. Lucas and him have worked very hard at this formula and they have earned the right to use it as much as they damn please. They have the well, patent with but, these serials, too. It's 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 in line with serials of, of that they were always going for. It's it didn't lose that that through line, which is that these are all live action serials. And yeah, this one almost feels like the most live action serial of the bunch that I've seen. And to a slight fall, I think they go a little too far with it mm -hmm. uh, because the other movies, they they kept that that uh, I guess a spirit of that. But I don't know. They were able to transcend it in a, in a way that was more accessible to adults as well. And this one is veering more into like like something for teenagers, I would say. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more PG-13, I guess, than those original movies. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, even that opening scene where they're in the warehouse at Area 51 mm -hmm. and they open the Roswell box. Like, you compare that to the original movie with the, the giant ball chasing him down and it's like, all right, he's just going to stand in a warehouse and talk to Kate Blanchett ominously for 10 minutes. All of it just felt, it, it did feel like, again, the guy that made Lincoln, the guy that made Warhorse, the mm. guy that made The Post, revisiting material. That's sort of a young man's game. Yeah, I agree with that. Man. He's allowed to make as many as he wants, and Harrison Ford's allowed to star in as many as he wants. But the word is that James Mangold is making the next movie in the series, and Harrison Ford's still going to be in it, and it's going to, mm -hmm. I think, be released in 2022. I think that move should have been made a long time ago. I think like it, it was time to hand this thing off to a younger filmmaker. Um, and ugh, yeah, I, I just can't get over how underwhelming it was. Even Kate Blanchett, like you say, there are good characters. 
Kate like Blanchett should be a much better villain than she is in this. She's way too good an actress to be that boring of a Russian treasure she's, hunter. Oh, she's definitely the weakest villain. But again, I don't necessarily. I'm not really bored by her personally, and maybe that's just like Kate Blanchett's presence. But every time I see her, I'm actually kind of excited for the scene. I like how she plays with Dindy. I like how mm-hmm. she one one ups him, and she's in, intimidating and, and striking enough for me to kind of be invested. So, I don't know. Um, I also just think that like, yeah, like that's like the set pieces that you're talking about that seem like they're not all that interesting. I mean, I'm just not, I don't know. This is just going to be us saying like, I disagree because I think the warehouse scene is awesome. Okay. <laughs> like, like I seriously think it's great stuff. And I've, I've, I've watched the movie just to watch that opening enough. All I right. like his conversations with her. I like how he discovers the Roswell box, even though that would never happen with the magnetic shit. Yeah. It's sure. cool stuff. And then when he's finally running around the box and getting shot at and swinging on the lights from his whip saying, damn, I thought that was closer to the, ru- the fight he gets in with the Russian. I don't know, man. I just think it's purebred Indiana Jones stuff. And it's really, really well done here. So I, I don't know what to say, man. I just enjoyed it a ton. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Well, by I the way, don't... why is Indy like so skeptical of all of these myths after he saw the Ark of the Covenant melt a bunch of Nazis <laughs> off, Nazis faces off, after his heart was pulled out of his chest by a native? <laughs> well, he's after skeptical he, after he met a a two thousand year old knight <laughs> guarding the Fountain of Youth. That's more of an issue with the series as a whole, though, because he's skeptical of all that stuff, even up until Last Crusade. Yeah. Where he, he always thinks it's bullshit until it's not bullshit. So I don't know if that's necessarily a problem with C- Crystal Skull, but more so an issue with the franchise as a whole. Yeah, that's fine. I Like, I don't know. Aliens aren't that much of a leap, are they? I'd be pretty freaked out if I saw an alien. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Also, I the know. crystal skull itself is a shitty looking prop. And it really bothers me that like John Hurt has to carry around like a plastic Happy Meal toy <laughs> and for, again, for two is, hours. We're just bouncing back and forth here. I like the MacGuffin. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I hated it. Because I, I fucking love the scene where they're looking for it in those tombs. And they're trying to get past like the little like balance beam thing and Shia LaBeouf gets stung by the scorpions. And it all just has this really great atmosphere and and aesthetic and it feels so in line with Indiana Jones to the way they just find it next to all those like dilapidated skeletons. And it's got gold stuck to it. I just oh, I love it. I love it. Wow. I'm just so not there with you. I think it's really good. Okay, well, uh. Fine. Yeah, I I was hoping to get something on a rewatch that I didn't get the first time I saw it, and that wasn't the case. Now, granted, I I had not seen it since two thousand eight, so this was yeah. I mean, and also like I think a week after I watched the first three films, so okay, that's probably a a lot to do with it. I yeah, I I I don't disagree that it has lost its edge. I don't disagree that Spielberg at this point in his life is probably not the best filmmaker to tackle this. And I do agree that there are shortcomings, like I said, like Cate Blanchett, even though I like her, I don't think she's a a great villain in quotes. I think some of the CGI in the way it's used is quite annoying, especially with that car chase in the jungle. I like the monkeys, the fucking monkeys, man. I love I love the ants, though. Like, again, there is payoff and there is some ridiculous shit that is just too much even for indiana jones like when they're jumping on the trees into the water and i'm like okay yeah that's not good that's not good that doesn't make any sense and it's really stupid and it's it's too silly even for indy 
So yeah, there's little things like that, but it it I, some people claim it's in the, it it's pervasive in the movie, and I I just don't see what they're talking about. So okay, well Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, so at least you and Roger are on the same page on that one. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Yeah. Uh, next, a movie I've mm. been teasing for a long ass time. 2001's Vanilla Sky, directed by Cameron Crowe. Based on the Spanish film Abre los Ojos, Open Your Eyes, which evidently also <laughs> starred Penelope Cruz. This one stars Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, and Kurt Russell. Nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards, Paul McCartney singing Vanilla Sky. Also nominated for Worst Actress at the Razzies, Penelope Cruz. Seems like a stretch. That's actually, uh, we'll get all my thoughts to, about this movie, but that's way too harsh that's unfair that's very harsh i think she's good in the movie yeah a self-indulgent and vain publishing magnate finds his privileged life upended after a vehicular accident with a resentful lover quick clip so it's an aesthetic regenerative shield that's correct exactly and the ergonomics of the plate barrier allows it to interact reflexively with the movements of your own face i see it's a helpful unit. Good. Because for a minute there, I thought we were talking about a fucking mask! <laughs> Tommy! Tommy just throwing 99 miles an hour. Oh, boy. Tom Cruise says this is the best film he's ever done. Says a lot about Tom Cruise. Number one, Whoa. baby. Best this film he's ever the, done. Wow. Okay, that makes Tom Cruise such a piece of shit asshole even greater for me. How dare you? Really? He, there's Fucking no way. Ask! How dare you? Th- there's no way he thinks this is the best movie he's done. That's what he um, said. Yeah, that, 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 that explains a lot about Tom Cruise. It actually makes me find him even more reprehensible. See, I don't know how you can say this because this was such like a self-aware bit of casting. Like, I love it. Like, for somebody that hates Tom Cruise and thinks he's an asshole, like, the movies where he's cast as an unlikable asshole should work for you. Like, I've he's, always found it, like, like similar to Ben Affleck and Gone Girl. Like, I think, like, casting Tom Cruise as Tom Cruise is a great move every time. Mm. It'd be nice if he was good in the movie. He's great in the movie. He sucks. No, how dare you? He sucked in this movie. I couldn't <laughs> believe what I... Okay, Nico, here's the thing. You said at the beginning of this podcast that none of these movies are considered why is this a thing? You were wrong, man. This movie was horrible. Oh my goodness. This is the worst movie by a clear mile on the I fucking hated this movie. Oh Let my me be goodness. perfectly clear. This is like one of the worst movies I've ever fucking seen in my life. <laughs> it's like counselor level bad. And I couldn't believe what I was watching. It's I'm a just counselor like, reunion, as a matter of fact. I'm just like, whoa, guys. All it, it's another one of those frustrating, confounding experiences where I'm like, everyone on display read this script and they looked at the concept and they said, we want to make that movie it was also giving me cats flashbacks oh my goodness i'm like how do you get this many people to just where their instincts completely flip i just did i it was it was blowing my mind and it add actually to the point where i was annoyed by giving cameron crow too much credit this wow. movie this is a bad thing for me nico because i love cameron crow before seeing this movie and now i'm not sure about that stay away from we bought a zoo 
<laughs> Dude, what? Stay the was... fuck away from Aloha then. I, I, I again, I just, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a stupid movie this is. What a fucking stupid movie. Everything from like, and you're not allowed, by the way, to give me shit for any movies that I like. If I hear you come at me for liking Repo Man or Return of the Living Dead or something like that, I'm just going to refer to you as the guy who likes Vanilla Sky because this is an ungodly piece of shit movie. At least those are good movies, man. This is objectively just horrendous. I thought it was terrible. I really thought it was an objectively awful fucking movie. And that ending was was just like making my my insides melt. <laughs> just like the well worst then. writing I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Well, well then, tell me how wow. you really feel. <laughs> now tell me how you really feel. Okay. Yeah. Um. The, well, where to begin with Vanilla Sky? I, I acknowledge. <laughs> I I acknowledge that me and Roger Ebert are perhaps the only two human beings on the face of the planet that like this movie. I acknowledge that. <laughs> Yep. I understand I am in the vast minority. Audience uh, audiences gave it a D minus cinema score <laughs> back in 2001. Yeah. D minus cinema score. It's really bad. Um, okay. Well, what do I like about this movie? A couple things. It's basically the Matrix, but schmaltzier. Yep. And I dig that because okay. as a person that likes the Matrix and likes the existential questions posed in the matrix i think rooting those questions in a romantic context is interesting because ultimately the matrix is just like a movie about free will and about responsibility and about heroism and keanu's motivation in that movie is never like save your daughter or save your wife or save the love of your life it's just i'm a human and as a human it's important to live a truthful life and a life where i am conscious of the sinisterness around me. Um, this movie says, okay, what if we place that in the context of a, of a romance? Like, mm -hmm. is this life worth living if I lose my love or if I lose my great job or if I lose my beautiful face? Um, and like, I just think that's an interesting take on this material on material that we've seen several times over. I actually find the final scene of this movie to be compelling. And I do find that existential question to be worth asking. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number two, I find it to be fucking hysterical. I think. <laughs> in a, in, no, is, not in an ironic way. Really? Oh my fucking God, dude. Mask! Absolutely not. <laughs> what is the matter with you? What happened? What, what, what are you talking about? I'm so confused. What? When Tom is in the bar and like he's having the drink and his face is all deformed, just hilarious shit. Hilarious shit. And I do think that this is a pretty perceptive subversion of the Tom Cruise persona. I really do. <laughs> like, I think like there's a lot of self-awareness and he plays a total prick. And a lot of times you have a laugh at his expense and sometimes you you grow to like him. Um, but I mean, that scene with the mask is hysterical. Like every decision he makes is pretty comedically sound. And I, I and I, I, I can't help but think Cameron Crowe, who is a comedic filmmaker, first and foremost, he makes very sentimental dramas, but mm -hmm. they all have elements of comedy to them. Uh, you know, say anything is certainly that way. Jerry Maguire is that way. Almost famous is that way. They, I think are all dramas, but they have comedic elements to them. And I, I, 
I don't think like it's fair to say that this movie is un or is ironically funny. I think like he's pretty aware where the laugh lines are supposed to go. Okay. You don't think so? I found his performance very uncomfortable actually. It's not it's not so much that I was like watching him and like 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 getting amused by his mannerisms or his like funky nature when he was fucking with people at the dance club. It was just like, ew, what are you it was giving me like Tommy Wiseau vibes. Oh my goodness. It felt like he didn't know what he was doing, is the best way I can describe it. I was I found like the performances to be confused and mis- misguided and it felt like they weren't sure what story they were telling. Which is why like the performances themselves at times are very inconsistent to me. Even with like Penelope Cruz and, and the way she deals with Tom Cruise and the way Tom Cruise deals with himself to what the fuck is that guy's name? Uh, his best friend. Uh, hang on. I, I, if, Keep going. Anyway, his best friend is like uh, horribly miscast as well. Oh, Jason Lee. <laughs> Jason Lee. OK, yeah. yeah. I c- could not stand that character. Yeah. Could not stand that character in anything that he does. And I didn't buy his personality at all. I just like a person like you just doesn't exist. I'm sorry, movie, but like. Yeah, well, in real life. Yeah, he actually doesn't exist. That's true, Adam, because most of this is a spoiler alert, uh, an algorithm, an illusion. Are are we sure about that? Yes, we're sure about that. He doesn't (laughs) actually jump off a building. I know that, but I'm (laughs) but the Jason Lee character might have existed. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a version of him did. But like they make a point how like he because my reading is always like, okay I guess he's just dead after the car accident. And that's the rest of the movie. I don't care about any reading of this movie, though. That's the other problem is that I don't find a lot of these questions to be rewarding, at least in the way the movie goes about it, because the way it talks about it is so obnoxious. And then uh, I mean, and then I guess the way it resolves itself is just I don't know. Like that ending was so lame and fluffy and it, it just rang completely hollow. I just didn't understand the point of it at that point at, at that point in the movie. And I thought that, like, I don't know what it was trying to say. It, it hadn't developed properly or in a way that was clear enough. And I just thought, like, OK, like the, the existential questions about like like who you are and what's I, I don't like the essence of your life is, is a little more properly explored and things like her, you know, in a lot okay. of ways. Yeah, That's great a much movie. better. But that movie is like quiet and subtle and and is focused in a way that this movie is certainly not. I will give you that. Her is a better movie than this. Okay. (laughs) But only slightly. (laughs) Only slightly. Um, Man, I don't think any idea in this movie is properly developed or lands in the way that they're hoping for it to. And it's just dumb. I just watched like friggin uh, Kurt Russell's character is a stupid plot device. And the, the 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 the. tax agent what the hell is his name Noah Taylor whoever the English guy is just a stupid character and like it's it's okay for like maybe on paper but in execution his character is ridiculous I see this character I'm like like who who thought that this would be a good idea like it's so pretentious man Penelope Cruz super hot sure (laughs) I didn't I I (laughs) whatever man (laughs) whatever um, even when this movie's trying to be funny, I find it pretentious. And that's the, yeah, I, 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 I was, mask! come on, bro. <laughs> come on. I just, I, I, I wanted these characters to die in a fiery explosion. Well, one of them did. So congrats. Yeah. 
There's nothing, there's <laughs> nothing, and there's just nothing charming about it. Like I said, it's just an awkward feeling movie too. When, even when it's going for something sweet, I'm, I'm just like, you didn't earn that. Like when she takes off his face and then they're just automatically together again. I'm, I'm like, no movie. No, no, that doesn't work for me at all. And, oh God, I guess Cameron Diaz is good in the movie. Oh yeah. Cruz and her are great. I think they're Cruise awesome. Cruz is not I, good in this movie. I'm talking He's about not, Penelope Cruz. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Not good no, in this movie. No, both Cruises are good. Let me be clear. Both no, Cruises are good. No, his performance is... But I'm speaking is, specifically about Penelope Cruz here. It is like the most forgettable Tom Cruise performance for me. Up until like he's he's like fumbling around like a moron. But even after that, the only thing memorable about his performance for me is the fact that he's got a fucked up face. And that's not even a tribute to his performance. <laughs> it's the fucking makeup department. So good. I think his performance is terrible and I think it's forgettable as hell. And I think it's like one of the weaker Tom Cruise performances that I've seen. And I, he's just, he just feels tired the entire time and uninspired. Oh and I'm, yeah. I, I hate to say it, man. It just feels very uninspired to me. I'm like, who are you as a person other than the fact that everyone thinks you're an asshole, man. I love this cruise run. I really do. <coughs> I love, I love this run with eyes wide shut and with, uh, with, um, uh, Magnolia was around the same time, right? Magnolia was a is, few years earlier. Magnolia is a great subversion of Tom Cruise, and Tropic Thunder is a great subversion of Tom Cruise. Probably the best. <laughs> this collateral feel, was a couple years later. I just Tom, love early two thousands Tom. I really do. Mm, yeah, yeah. This felt like it was like half invested in that idea. By the way. Like making Tom Cruise the unlikable one. He's the unlikable guy until he's not the unlikable guy. Yeah, okay. And like, oh, let's feel sympathy for him now that he's fucked up. No, I hated the guy. <laughs> what do you want? Like, you want me to feel sympathy for him just because he's lost everything because I got a mopey face? Fuck you. Fuck this movie, man. I hated this thing. They played Radiohead at the top. You didn't like that? Oh, I, I heard the Radiohead. That was fine. Everything they in the right place. They play it for like two seconds, but you know, fine. It's gone. It's it's over and done with. That's another thing I'm just a fucking sucker for, man. Because I remember the first time <laughs> I saw it, didn't know anything about the movie. I, I don't know if you picked up on it, but the Blowing in the Wind album cover, the oh. Dylan album cover that they recreated with Cruz. Oh, yeah. I, I, again, I didn't know the twist of the movie. I didn't even know that it was a science fiction movie in any way. But I remember that specific shot, and I recognized the album cover immediately because, of course, oh. I'm a Dylan freak. And that little reference, I'm not sure if... Cameron Crowe, at the time, I wasn't sure if he put it in there just because he's a fan of the album or that there's something more going on than meets the eye. Um, I just love his like little pop culture references. I, I, I love the fact that Cameron Crowe was a rock critic just because mm -hmm. I love the same music that he does. Um, and yeah, I just love that idea that Cruz built a world around not only the love of his life, but also the cultural loves of his life. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm just a, I'm a sucker for that shit. I'm a sucker mm. for some Radiohead and a Dylan reference. What do you want from me? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know, man. There's nothing. Ugh, that's fine. It's fine if you like that. There's nothing for me to latch on to in this one. And the idea like the ideas are so convoluted that it's like I can never like sink my teeth into one. And again, I keep coming back to this. It just feels like because the ideas are such a mess in this movie, they don't feel properly developed in any way. So by the end of it, when he, he dies in heavy quotes, um, I'm just like, okay, whatever. I, I can't, I couldn't be happier to be out of this movie. So it's like the schmaltziest. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a Synecdoche, New York in this movie? Maybe there's a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> a tad. <laughs> a tad. Let me put it this way. I, I totally understand why you like this movie, Nico. Okay. 
<laughs> I I get why you like this movie. Appreciate it. <laughs> and that's not a compliment. Okay, that's all right. I'll take it in stride. I'll take it as a compliment. But this movie, like, like, made me question a lot of things. Made me question you just a hair. I'm like, Mm-mm. Nico, come on, come on, dude. Um, listen, I'm I'm happy to get a rise out of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I'm a little upset that you didn't like it the way that I like it. Um, but I am I'm convinced this was a good selection for this particular program. How about that? Put it this way, and maybe you'll find a good path after this. This is the closest I've come since Emoji Movie to being broken by a movie. Okay. All right. Well, I got some more Cameron Crowe where that came from. Plenty more. I couldn't believe he made a movie this bad. There's no way. Oh, Adam. There's no way it gets worse than this. Oh. Really? Really? Oh. Am I going to make you watch Elizabethtown tonight? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Cameron Crowe is now a very bad filmmaker. Let me be clear. Oh, jeez. I love the guy. I love his earlier work, but there is a... There is a thick line in the sand drawn, depending on your opinion, between Almost Famous and Vanilla Sky or Vanilla Sky and Elizabethtown. I consider Vanilla Sky to be his last good movie. Um, I actually think like all of his movies before Vanilla Sky were good. Everything afterwards, Elizabethtown, We Bought a Zoo, Aloha, yeesh, yeesh, ungood. Uh, But anyway, there we go. Let's move on. Now it's my turn. Okay. It's my turn. You've had your time on the soapbox. Now it's my turn. Okay. The Godfather Part 3 is something you nominated. It's the final film on the list. Okay. 1990. It's now being known, of course, as The Godfather, Coda, mm-hmm. The Death of Michael Corleone, which is coming to theaters December 4th and Blu-ray December 8th. Perfect timing. Yep. Perfect timing. We'll get to watch this movie all over again and see if Coppola really had his cut stolen away from him this of course written and directed by francis ford coppola in a an historic cash grab on the part of a broke filmmaker who was coming off of a string of box office bombs starring al pacino diane keaton talia shire andy garcia joe mantanga george hamilton and sophia coppola nominated oh my goodness for seven oscars Picture, supporting actor, director, cinematography, art direction, film editing, and original song. However, it also took home two Razzie Awards that year, both for the same woman. But Worst Supporting Actress and Worst New Star both go to Sofia Coppola. Yep. Follows Michael Corleone now in his 60s as he seeks to free his family from crime and find a suitable successor to his empire. I am looking forward to your defense of this movie, sir. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I rewatched it. Um, Me too. To, try, to, to be prepped for it. Me too. And I, and I saw some of the criticisms people were talk about talking about. I understand Sofia Coppola is not very good in the movie. You don't say. <laughs> I understand, like, like why you would find Andy Garcia's character obnoxious, even though there's some things about his character that I do like. What are you um, gonna do with this guy? I don't know what you're going to th- say about him. Um, He's fun. He's fun, I guess. Go ahead. Um, and I understand that the plot is very convoluted. Um, I kind of think it's a great movie. What the hell? <laughs> I kind of think it's sort of great. <laughs> what? And I, I, for the life of me, can't figure out the criticisms for this movie like what? as to why it's hated. I was like, okay, 
I get the issues. It's still kind of a great movie, though. But take that word out your mouth. Take What's the so word ba- great out your mouth. What is so bad about this movie? You, I think you need some context as to why I might like this more than you, but I, I'd like to hear why you don't like it. Let's go to the notes. Oh, boy. Uh, obviously, Sofia Coppola bad. I'm not going to focus too hard on Sofia Coppola, although she is like the emotional crux of this movie and the climax, spoiler alert, centers around her death. Like, I, I don't want to pick on her too much. She's a very important character, though, and it's a really bad performance. Initially, this was supposed to go... I think to Julia Roberts. I think she was actually the first choice. Would have been better. Winona Ryder was cast, was about to shoot the movie, then had a mental breakdown and had Mm. to drop out like days before. That's when like Francis was like, oh, hey, my daughter's hanging around set. You're going to now be one of the stars of the movie. Uh, Winona Ryder would have been so much better in it. But I don't want to focus in on her. I'd like to focus on the fact that Robert Duvall is not in this movie, which might actually be a worse piece of casting. The initial script had Duvall in it. He was a big player. Ultimately, he was replaced by George Hamilton, who is not good in this movie at all. Uh, The consigliere in the first two movies was a really important role. And I've always said this. I think Tom Hagen is the heart and soul of the entire franchise. Mm -hmm. And taking his character out of it, you just lose a lot of the heart and soul of the franchise. Um, it, It just doesn't work. George Hamilton is really bad. And uh, the story, of course, is that Duvall wanted to be paid as much as they paid Pacino. The studio refused. And I just think it's a major mistake. So if you want to just talk about surface level casting, it's a problem. (laughs) The plot is ridiculous. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. The stuff with the papacy, whatever. Uh, Apparently, this was all stuff that happened at the Vatican. I I think some of these theories that are posed in the film are conspiracy theories like the fact that Pope John Paul I was murdered. Um, but the the movie does sort of weave in real-life events, the stuff with the Vatican Bank, whatever. And I just think, like, it's really muddled and confusing, and there is no compelling villain in this movie, unlike the last two. Like, if you compare Hyman Roth to the villain in whatever villain this in, it's in this movie, I don't know if it's Joe Mantenga, who's killed an hour and a half in, or if yep. it's the the banker, the Pope's banker, None of it works. And I think if you remove this movie from the context of the franchise, which I don't know, that might be your argument to why it's pretty good. It's just confusing. I just don't think like any of this shit lands, but also the allusions to the previous films fall entirely flat. I think like the stuff with Fredo, the regret that Pacino feels um, after killing Fredo None of it is really explored in a way that you that, that I find satisfactory. I think Pacino himself has said about the movie that he doesn't like the direction they took the Michael character. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he straight up said Michael would not have felt guilt over Fredo's death in the way that he does in this movie. And, you know, I think that that's a, a fine theory. I mean, I'm okay with you going there. I'm mm-hmm. not okay with you going there by just like, having Michael have a stroke and just yelling the word Fredo or giving (laughs) confession and just saying, I killed my brother. I ordered the death of my brother. Like, I don't know. I just find that shit to be very half-assed. And I think all of the shit that is contending with the initial two movies, I think are half-hearted attempts. They are more attempts at nostalgia than they are serious interrogation. 
And mm. I think, and that that's pretty bothersome. I think the stuff with Kay is good. I think the best scenes in the movie are with Pacino and Keaton. I think Pacino is actually pretty good in this movie. He gives a good Me performance, too. and it's right at the tail end of like karaoke Pacino. It's yes, right at the tail. It's right before Scent of a Woman. After this movie, he j- had just fallen off the rails. I think there was that last gasp of greatness that Pacino yep. was able to to unlock in this movie. And I think Diane Keaton's really good. And every scene that they're in together when they're walking around Italy, I think I, it is incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that is the the one sort of vestige of the original two that still hits home and it still cuts deep. Other than that, just bringing Johnny Fontaine back for another musical number, but it's not as good as in that first movie, I think is a perfect metaphor for this one. They're just bringing up, they're just, they're, they're, uh, they're resuscitating a lot of, a lot of carcasses. Oh. Put it that way. It's, you know what it is? Yeah. They tried putting the horse's head back on the horse and they tried riding that shit in the Kentucky Derby and it just okay. ain't gonna work. Yeah. Okay. This movie fucking blows, man. Okay. I, I disagree with about everything you just said. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, I think uh, a lot of the Michael stuff is great. I think his confession to the to the priest with Fredo is the best scene in the movie. Uh, and I think most of it is actually handled in just Pacino's performance. I think the entire thing just lingers with Pacino and his his level of regret. And we see it in literally every scene he's in. It's, it's like, it feels like, I guess, what uh, Francis Ford Coppola eventually settled into and in that it's an epilogue or what he's calling it is a coda. Yeah. It it quite literally felt that way to me when I rewatched it, and it just felt like the the past due Godfather just trying to settle things out in a peaceful manner. But it's sort of hubris to do that because the, because of the path he's taken, there's no possible way he can do that, and it's about him learning that. So the last movie hour me, of Irishman. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's very very similar in that way, and yeah, the Irishman's better, but. Uh, I don't have an issue with it in for this story, and it's certainly fitting for the st- the series of The Godfather. Um, I also just think the 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 movie's focus on Michael is greater than everything else in the movie, and they they give uh, the sort of I don't know this conspiracies and the scandal. It, they give it enough time to give you some context as to why there's still trouble in the family. That that doesn't really seem to be the Coppola's interest. It really just does seem to be him sitting with Michael and dealing with passing up the power to to fucking Andy Garcia's character. And and I love the idea that uh, it sort of revolves around the the thought like uh, it like like sort of the generational questions. I love how um, Andy Garcia's character just wants power but doesn't necessarily need it or deserve it. And I love that contrast between Michael who got into it, who didn't want the power but had to do it because he had no choice. And just seeing that difference in that sort of tragic arc with, with you know, I guess his kids is is something he's contending with with this entire movie. Yeah, it's, he's know? a lot like Sonny. We get it. Yeah, I mean, we, we he, got these themes in the first movie, my guy. I'm sorry. No, we didn't. Not with We've that We've been character. there. We've been there. I don't he's know. A lot like, like, yeah, he, Sonny's a hothead, and he shouldn't he's have a lot, the throne. Okay, and it's no, the guy no, that wants the throne the least that's most deserving lot, of it. Yeah, we get it. He's a lot like Sonny in terms of the fact that he's his kid, but it's not talking about that those themes specifically. It, it's what? Just because he's like Sonny, it's automatically discussing the themes of the fact that it's a generation that want, that wants it rather than a generation that needs to do this? No, I, I, I think in a lot of ways, yeah, they're revisiting this idea that that... Vito never trusted Sonny to run the empire. He loves Sonny, but too much of a hothead, not not pragmatic enough. 
too emotional. And yeah, I mean, Andy Garcia, similar themes here, right? There's 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 skepticism for him taking over the throne just because of his his hot headedness. I don't know. I'm like, not we've sure been there. I, we've been there with better actors and better and a better script I'm and just, better direction. That's all I'm, I'm saying. I'm not even sure those ideas are f- are fully the point of that first Godfather movie. No, they it's they don't, no, it's one of many. It's one of many. Sure, it's one but, of like fifty thousand, which is why it's the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, because there's a trillion themes that you can explore on yeah, each. Yeah, I agree with that. But they don't focus on that one idea in the same way that they do here, where it's like kind of the entire movie in a lot of ways. And that's kind of what makes it compelling for me. You also have to understand, okay, to give you some context as to why I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie whatsoever. um, I think a lot of like your hatred for this movie or your frustrations for this movie stems entirely with how you think about the first two movies. I think that's entirely it. I think that's fair. um, Here's the thing. The first two movies are not formative movies for me. Mm-hmm. They don't belong on my top 10 list. They don't belong on my top 20 list. They might not even crack my top 50. That's insane. They're not, they're not, I love those movies and they're amazing films. I recognize their importance. I recognize how great they are, but they've never been amongst my favorite movies in, in terms of like, if you were to rank all the movies that I consider my favorites, cause I have a lot of quote unquote favorites. But I wouldn't consider them high up on that list because they just never meant as much to me uh, growing up. So when I do watch this movie and I'm a little I'm not as precious with those first two movies uh, as, as amazing as they are. I think I'm able to look at this one in a bubble and just be like, it's just a good character piece to, to, to wave goodbye to Michael. And I just think as a movie, it works perfectly well, if not pretty great. And I think that third act is fantastic. OK, I get it. I understand, and I knew you were going to say this. I, I just think you take those other two movies out, and you don't have a third movie. Like I, th- this movie, it's not its own standalone story. It is very much in in debt of those other two movies, um, mm-hmm. and contending with some of the shit that happened in those two movies. And not only do I find it unnecessary, as I said before, I just think it's unsatisfactory. I don't think like these are th- that this is a worthy interrogation of those first two movies. I'm totally fine with them making a third one. I'm totally fine. And by the way, thank God I was not like in my twenties when this movie came out and I went to the theater (laughs) and I was anticipating a third Godfather movie like the rest of America, because I know I would have just been so disappointed and I would have loathed it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I'm fine with them tackling all these themes, but do it right. And do and do those original movies <laughs> I justice. I think again, if you take out yeah. the context of those first two movies, this is a very confusing crime film about the Vatican. And at times, it's kind of a shitty '90s action movie. Let's be honest about this. The scene <laughs> in the penthouse in <laughs> Vegas where they get movie? shot, the helicopter flies down, they get shot. I mean, that's out of a Lethal Weapon movie. That's just shitty <laughs> '90s action. The scene where they break into Andy Garcia's apartment. And like the two most incompetent assassins on the planet are duped by him. Like, like that's out of like a Charles Brosnan movie. Um, but it's a Charles well done Bronson, scene, man. I don't Bronson care. Movie. It's tense. It's really good. <laughs> no, it's not, dude. It's fucking yes, not, it is. man. It's it's yes, corny it is. action. There's, what's wrong it's with it? It's corny action disguised as like prestige genre fair. And it and it's I don't know. I find that I, move to be very irritating. I think like tonally this know. movie doesn't make much sense. It's kind of just like a pale imitation lacks all of the heart of those of those original movies. And that's part of it, too. This movie I has don't think very that's true at heart. all. The stuff I with Keaton and Pacino, true. immaculate. I'll give it's you great. that. 
immaculate. The stuff with Andy Garcia and Sofia Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> regardless of the fact that it's like weird incest. Mm-hmm. Regardless of that. And the incest is strange. No chemistry. And no. I didn't feel bad no. when Sofia Coppola died at the end. I don't know about you. I didn't feel bad. Oh, I never first time I saw their, it, I never bought bad. their chemistry. Never bought that Andy Garcia would give up his life for this woman. No, um, no. The worst, the, the worst part of the movie for me is definitely uh, their relationship. And yeah, I, I, that's that's one of the stranger moves of the movie. I never understood why it, it thought that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. So if I'm to like come down hard on anything, it would be that. But there's still good stuff there, man. I'm sorry. The scene where like uh, Marty's mom is in that scene and they go into that bar. That conversation they have is really sweet and it's really as touching. I, as and, I told you over yeah. text, Martin Scorsese's mother, best performance in the movie. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that scene works very well and it is quite touching. And Sofia Coppola is actually not half bad in that scene. <sighs> where the fact that there are cuz. I know. But it's no, so man. Freaky. That's so weird. And yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just, com- I completely disagree. <laughs> I don't even think it's like a pale Im- imitation. And I, if I'm being honest, like who cares if it, I mean, if, are we, are we going to go back to this argument about like context? I mean, if you say this movie doesn't work without those two movies, I could just as easily say, uh, infinity war is a shitty movie because it doesn't work without the other 15. No, movies. that's not, that's not why I'm saying it's a shitty movie. What I, what I'm saying is what uh, I, you're asking me to remove the context of the first two in order Am to I? judge this movie objectively. That's what you're asking. But essentially, oh, oh. what well, no, right? What you're saying is that I don't like this movie because of my love for the first two. Well, but I think I'm it saying- has to do with how good those first two movies are. Like the thing is, I can I mean, I, I you could remove the, the first Star Wars from me. I could do that very easily and still love Empire Strikes Back, you know, and I, I but, no, but I still love Empire Strikes Back in the context of the first movie. Sure, sure. Like the, my my point is, you're saying it's only bad because of the first two movies. What I'm saying, it's impossible to watch this movie without the knowledge of the first two movies or without some appreciation for the first two movies because but a I lot of even, the emotional through lines carry over. I don't even think it's that much of a downgrade. They drop the fucking ball, man. They just drop the ball. I just don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't see it at all. Come on, I, I don't. I don't think the movie loses. George its heart. Hamilton I, as his fucking consigliere? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's George not fucking a, Hamilton. I'm not saying that's a good move. I'm not saying the movie's perfect. I just don't think the movie loses everything that makes The Godfather what it is. I think it still has the identity through and through. Like if you if you were to ask me what movie was that, I'd say it's fucking definitely a Godfather movie. I think that's all that matters. And I honestly do think like that when you're talking about those first two movies, it's almost impossible to judge anything that comes after that fairly. Like, I, I don't think there's anything like remotely bad about this movie aside from Sofia Coppola and um, the handling of um, the relationship with her and uh, Andy Garcia. Yeah, those are the, the bad things about the, those are the bad that. things about the movie. Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, man, <laughs> most of the things in this movie work perfectly fine for me. <laughs> Uh, man, some of these scenes are just pulled out of a different movie. I, I swear. I don't. Man. What? Uh, I don't see what you're mean. What do you mean by that? The really? Casino shooting does not feel like it's pulled out of a different movie. No. I, I mean, these are brooding interior movies about like political moves and about family and like those scenes. That, these are political just, moves about family. Shit. Honestly, it's B movie <laughs> shit. And it, it, it lacks so much of that heart. Again, aside from the stuff with Michael and Kay, mm-hmm. aside from that stuff, I never buy the fact that Pacino respects Andy Garcia. 
I never buy that. I never buy that Vincent was worthy of this of the of the role as Don. I never buy that Pacino had trust for Vincent. I never I don't understand what's happening in that scene where he ultimately hands over the reins. I like they don't do any of the character work and they had 3 hours to do it and <laughs> I just all of that is so hollow. As I've always said, as many people have always said, much like the much like the Fast franchise, it's a movie mm. about family. And I, I I don't understand. I don't fundamentally understand any of these family dynamics, and that's a damn shame. It's a damn oh, sad thing I to see. say about a Godfather movie. It just <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I I understood it completely. <laughs> also, that opera scene way too fucking long. Oh, the it's cross great. cutting is cool. But oh, no, come that's on, a, the that's opera scene cheap, is awesome. Cheap imitation of the baptism scene. We know it. They're just playing the hits sure. again. But it's so well done. And it doesn't feel the same to me. It's tense as hell. It's scary. I don't know. It really works for me. I love seeing that family together watching uh, their son perform in the way that he does. To see Michael as happy as he is, only to have it kind of tragically get cut short, is so fitting. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I think the relationship work in the character work is perfectly good. And I kind of I kind of understood why Michael would want to do everything that he does. And he's just like tired. He can't do it anymore. He's fine to give it up to this brat. Just the fact that he would do that at all, you know, to get to that point, it makes sense to me. I just, by the way, yeah. Sophia Coppola gets a lot of flack. Talia Shire is really floating under the radar here in terms of horrible performances. She's fucking horrendous in this movie. Like her turn is like the the bad bitch who's like, you know, her husband was killed. And yeah, like she's that gone was through all this shit. And now all of a sudden we're we're supposed to buy this heel turn. Like now I give she's that, like yeah. that she's like calling hits on people. I give you that one. It's a little weird. Yeah. I don't think her performance is bad. I just think the character work is uh, not not an organic turn. Yeah. I, I think she's like really bad in this movie. Where she's like pleading with Michael to take Vincent in. It's like You think oh, she's, she's so over the I top. I, I don't think she's bad, dude. Come on. Not that bad. Why does Michael wear sunglasses in this movie? Can you explain that to me? Because Al Pacino wears sunglasses and he said, I want to wear sunglasses. Since when did Michael wear sunglasses? Michael was never a sunglass wearing guy. Maybe they're prescription sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) It just hit me for the first time. Like, I now think of Pacino as a sunglass wearer, but only it was when I watched this on, on Tuesday. It hit me like, ugh, Michael's not a sunglass wearer. This guy was in the military. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. dude is like all business. He never showed up to like a meeting in Vegas oh, he, about a casino could, deal with sunglasses on. You're saying you go to the military, you can't wear sunglasses just because you're a businessman. You can't wear sunglasses. This now is he's a meeting criticism. with the arch. Now with the archbishop, soon to be pope. All of a sudden, like he's wearing sunglasses at the Vatican. Mm. Fuck off. <laughs> you're being a little too harsh. This movie <laughs> fucking blows, man. This, this is a movie that doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't exist. It's not real. It's a fake movie. Oh, just what, what when I thought that? I was out. It's a bad movie. <laughs> just when I thought uh, I was out, I'm still out. Still out on this movie. Also, is that that good a line? Can we settle down with the yeah. just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in? That's a pretty on-the-nose line. If I'm, you know what's the best uh, line in this movie? It's the when they come, what? they come at what you love. That's the best line in yeah, this movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's I not even that good a line. Hard. 
I think you're being way too harsh on this. Uh, I I think it works perfectly well as an epilogue to the series. I actually think it's really really good. <laughs> it's not. It's it's really not that bad to say that this movie blows. I I think I honestly do believe your first two movies are sort of clouding your judgment on this one. I I, I was literally watching it. I'm like, yeah, what's the big deal? This is pretty good. All right then. Uh, that's that's enough of that. Here's my take. It might be the best movie on this list. That is completely, totally, and utterly false. And I will not uh, let you put The Godfather Three in the movie Hall of Fame. I, I'm I'm close to that, man. I'm cl- I'm closer to that than you think. I'm not going to let you do it. It's not going to happen. Well, not in my Hall of Fame. Not going to happen. How do you know? Okay. Let's okay. Before we come to a decision, let's pause this for a second. I need to plug my computer in before we die because this could get interesting. Okay. Well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Give me a second. Go ahead. Plug it in. You might be doing me some favors here. Okay, good, good. I'll be right back. Not re- not done recording on this microphone, by the way. Keep going. Now plug it in real quick. I'll I'll keep vamping. Um, God, what a horrendous movie, The Godfather Part Three is. And even like at the time, the criticism was not that harsh. I I know like Ebert did give it a good movie. Again, it I gave it a good review. It got seven Oscar nominations. The Academy liked it as they did the previous two. So, as far as the Academy is concerned, like it wasn't a major step down. I just see it as a, a ridiculous cash grab on the part of Francis Ford Coppola. He resisted making it for years. The studio wanted to do it for years. They were going to do it without him if it came to that. Um, and uh, just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. It's not a good movie. And I think like the critical consensus in hindsight is certainly warranted. Podcast listeners will not hear this, but Adam has been talking to himself in the background and uh, not realizing that I'm vamping without him, and he's kind of killing my flow. Did he go to pee now? Is that what's happening? Does he think I'm going to cut this out? Because I ain't editing shit. I'm keeping this in. More about Godfather Part 3. How bad's that ending? How bad is that ending? Like, it, the, the, the montage at the opera is long enough and indulgent enough, and, oh, the computer just died. Where is he? Where's Adam? Is he there? He's now showing up as muted on my Jitsi call. Anyway, um, am, am I here? Can you can you see me? I I can't see you. Can oh you, uh, God damn this fucking thing! I've been vamping the whole time as you were chit chatting in the background. Vamping? Yeah, I've been talking more Godfather Part Three. Oh, myself. I see. Oh well, that's not fair. Just talking about how awkward that ending is, how it just comes out of nowhere. Sofia Coppola is dead, and all of a sudden, Al Pacino's 70, and he falls out of a chair. Oh, I see. Apparently, there's a new ending that that Francis came up with, so we'll see how it comes out in the new product. Can you see me now? I can. Okay, good. All right, what do you want to do about this, buddy? Okay, what are our options? <sighs> That's a great question. I take it you're not going to let me put Vanilla Sky no. in. No, because okay. that's the worst movie on this list. Because that is mind. actually my favorite movie on this list, and no, it's joke. not getting in. The fact that oh. you think that that's that that deserves to get in is quite horrendous. Man, because uh, then I I can't let Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Here's the problem: you hate my three movies. I hate your three movies. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, we have to find the movie that I guess we both hate the least. I mean, isn't that the way to do it? 
Yeah, maybe. Because I hate part three with a passion. I, I, I think Indiana Jones is just deeply whatever. And I, I don't think that that deserves a spot. I know you despise Elysium and there's no way you would let that in. Fast and Furious, I guess, might be a good compromise, but putting like the third Fast and Furious movie in there that, seems that's, strange. That's my deeply whatever choice. So, like, I guess the thing that I, I am most willing to compromise on here is Mamma Mia. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, I watched it again and I, I think, like, I acknowledge I was a little too harsh. Oh, that's the only movie that I acknowledge I was a little too harsh on over the years. I, I don't feel that way about the other two. Oh, I see. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Fast and Furious, again, like, it, I don't think it is Hall of Fame worthy. I, I would put Vanilla Sky in before it. But you're you think Vanilla Sky that. is yeah. Hall of Fame worthy? I think it's more Hall of Fame worthy than Fast and Furious. I don't know. These are movies that we defend as good, right? Yeah. So, by our logic, they should be worthy of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's a different question, though. Like, 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 Hall of Fame refers to other things than that. I, again, we have no other criteria to go off of on this one. But tell me mm. what you're thinking. What, like, walk me through your thought process on these six. I think my thought process is that I have a veto, and fuck you. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. So you're gonna just... try to talk me talk me out of this? I'm holding the bomb here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to press the button. I will come here hat in hand. Okay. <laughs> and at your feet, plead my case for Mamma Mia. You can plead. dance, you can shine, have a time of your sir. life. Plead. plead. See that girl, watch that scene. Let's put it in the Hall of Fame, all right? Let's just do it. The Are winner sure? takes it all. And today I think that Mamma Mia is the most deserving winner. My hand, my, my my fingers twitching here on on the button for Godfather and, Three, and I and I think you know, uh, how can you resist? How could you resist it, Mamma Mia? Here we go again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that all you got? I mean, that's all I got. Just please, sir, have mercy on me. <laughs> uh, hmm. Hmm. It would His be hand is hovering fun. over the button. It would be so funny. To see Godfather Part 3 in the movie Hall of Fame, and Godfather Part 2 is not in the movie Hall of Fame. (laughs) It's very tempting. It's very, I'm licking my lips here on the other end. (laughs) I have a button here that says Vito. Would you like me to press it? I Who knows what's going to happen when I hit that button, by the way? Mm. We don't know what sound it's going to make. If if like a nuclear plant will lock down, we don't know. We'll melt down. <laughs> we have no idea what the veto button will do. <laughs> it's just a button that says veto, and we'll soon find out what it means. But is it going to be today that we press it? That is the question. I mean, I, I already feel like I've manipulated you enough to giving me Mamma Mia. <laughs> also... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I have other plans for my vetoes, though, that I'm just waiting. You have plans? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. How big are these plans? They're big, and they're crazy. They may last years. It may take (laughs) years for me to get to one of my vetoes. Just you wait. (sighs) What are we doing, Adam? 
I will say this. Uh, we missed when Harry met Sally, which I would have liked to have gotten in for Abigail, and I couldn't do it. Oh, this is because of your girlfriend now? Yeah. So I'm not this thinking is your about present to your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. For the pot, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about her. Oh my so, goodness! So you okay, know fine, what? We can put Godfather in then, for the love of Christ. <laughs> Are you serious? Are you using this program as a romantic gesture? That's is right. that what you're doing? <laughs> I haven't seen her in a couple days due to oh this COVID goodness. bullshit. Oh my goodness, this is fucking vomit inducing. Are you are you using this as a romantic gesture? The the only thing that could be worse is if you said on this podcast, Abby, will you marry me? That's the only oh more obnoxious use of this podcast resource. You're honestly using this as a present to your girlfriend. Hmm. Wow. That was mean, Nico. That What's was it going to be? What's it going to be? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Take an answer. We got to go. We're at two hours. Oh, we're at two hours? I Over don't know. two I'm, hours. I'm very indecisive. <laughs> By the way. Go. Fucking it's a hot. T- go already. It's a hot takes podcast, motherfucker. And guess what? Veto. It's Godfather 3. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the veto button has been hit and godfather god podgather what <laughs> godfather part three is in the movie hall of fame the podfather just put the godfather into the movie hall of fame <laughs> Abby doesn't give a shit. <laughs> wow, she doesn't. Man, care. I talked you out of it at the last second. You know your 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 PDA really just bothered me so much. I had you on the hook for Mamma Mia. God damn it! I was gonna do it, and then you started being a prick. I was like, oh, oh, that's how that's how that's how it is. Okay, how about this? <laughs> wow, way to dig your own hole, sir. Man, I blew that one. Yes, well, at least I've burned a veto out of you. I have one more, and it's only going to one spot. Oh, man. You've got a plan for it. Yeah, of course I do. Okay. Uh, all right, there we go. Next week, what are we doing? Didn't we have a year that we, that we were going to do? Oh, what are we doing? Were we going to do a year, or were we going to finally talk about Trout Mask Replica for no reason? <laughs> no, that wasn't going to be on this show. It was going to be on another show. <laughs> okay. I'd love to talk about that sooner than later. I don't know. What's the year? What do we uh, want? Do we want to do a Oh, oh a theme? no, 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 no. I know. I take that back. We were not going to do a year. Um, we we got to do Orson Welles. Oh, God. We got to do Orson Welles. Okay. Right? Because Ors- because Mank is coming out. Mm-hmm. That, that actually might be two weeks from now. But we need to do the Orson Welles podcast. Okay. We can. All right. Films of Orson Welles. Does that include films that he acted in? <laughs> uh, no. I think we should keep it to directorial efforts. Okay. Unless you want Transformers the animated movie in there that bad. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> now the third man I don't think would count if that's what you're asking. No, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. Or Casino Royale with um um what's what's his name? Peter Sellers. Sure. Great movie. Great, Great movie. movie. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> um should we nominate? I don't, I don't know. Like what? Five? We're looking for five? Yeah. I mean, I have my three. I don't know much what after would your, that. What would your three be? Let's just do this now. What would your three be? 
Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, and F for Fake. I love F for Fake. There you go. I didn't know you loved it so much. I love it as well. Oh, God. When did you see it? Uh, Criterion. I saw it recently. Oh, really? You didn't tell me about it. I've seen, I saw this movie a long time last, ago. I think last year, I think I saw it. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, great movie. Um, then I think we probably do Lady from Shanghai and Magnificent Ampersands. Is that how you want to do it? Should we I do get- some of his his Shakespeare stuff? Because I know that's a big part of his yeah his the, legacy, the only, right? Um, I guess yeah. I mean, what's what's the Shakespeare one that we do though? I mean, it's either Othello or Macbeth. Okay, um, I heard his Othello's pretty good. So I have I've only seen pieces of it though. I saw a little bit of it in film class. So okay, I don't really know. Maybe we do that one then. Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, Magnificent Ampersands. I think got to be there. I I actually saw Lady from Shanghai in a indie movie theater in Boston like seven years ago. Oh, and loved it. Uh, okay, Chimes at Midnight. No no need. Yeah, maybe we do. Yeah, maybe we do. Uh, eh, I kind of like the five we have, though. Let's stick to those five. Okay. Let's stick to that. Othello, maybe we could switch in at the last second. But yeah, I think F for Fake is is worthy of a spot. So let's do those yeah, five. I agree. So in honor of Mank, next week, Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, Magnificent Ampersands, uh, Ampersands, not Ampersands. <laughs> Magnific- ampersands? <laughs> yeah. Ampersands? Magnificent Ambersands. You really draw uh, those ampersands for so ambersons. well. Ambersons. Ambersons. <laughs> F for fake and the lady from Shanghai. Much anticipated podcast about Orson Welles. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this has been on the, the list for a while, I think. Um. All right. There we go. Love you. Adam, this was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully we can see each other in person very soon for more yes, podcast shenanigans. Yeah. Until next time. I love that veto. That's all I got to say. Love it. (laughs) 